back with a bullet back with a bang. You heard that voice. It's your boy, BC, and it's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports Pro Wrestling Edition with the Brian Campbell. I know it's been a long time since we rock and rolled, since we talked this squared circle pro wrestling 20 by 20 BS, but your boy BC is back and back in a big way in the thick of things. Of course, fresh off of AEW full gear, but so much bigger picture stuff to talk about in the midst of this uh, uh, revolution, maybe? Third boom period, maybe? We got a lot to get into. We got a lot to get through. Sound the alarms. Because daddy's home. And why do I say that? Oh, not just because your boy BC is back. In this Campbell podcast. Thank you, Nick Costos. Uh, RIP, we love you, brother. Still alive, still kicking, still fighting. Uh, check out his work, by the way, at Sports Illustrated. But also, you want to talk about big-time guest daddy's home on this podcast this week in the form of Tommaso Champion of NXT fame. You're not going to want to miss that. And uh, shout out to my brethren over at uh, Cheapeat at ESPN. I know they were going through the shoot era at the moment and bringing it to you hot, direct, and dirty. And by the way, I am a willing participant in the Rosenberg podcast tree, so shout out to that. But uh, look, this show's been doing that since day one-ish, ever since one man had the the balls, had the courage to start a revolution from his bed. And start the Dirty Bed Sheets era and tell you like it is beginning with SummerSlam 2018. And that will only continue today. The hot and heavy, the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between of pro wrestling at this moment. Yes, fired up. Let's do it. Five, Yeah, yeah your boy's back. Five-star review season is back as well. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you consume fine audio. Uh, where have I been? Why have I been gone? We'll get to that in a minute. Let me bring in my cohorts here. He's a podcast co-host. Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's happy. You're going to have to pick what Russian roulette you get today of the king himself. His name, Adam Silverstein, coming at you, brother. Say hello to the bad guy. There was a time where the man hedged. We don't talk about those times anymore. He's the king of all things silver. SK, back in your ears, whole fellas. Hey now, BC, this chair, that feels a little bit more comfortable to me. I like uh, being introduced as opposed to doing the introductions. You, my friend, last time I saw you, you were pretty pale, uh, a little extra wash. It's almost like you went through an additional cycle. In the machine, I say you're looking what ninety percent right now. Well, I was sick for a week, but I was speaking of a machine, Adam. I will tell you what uh, what did help me a lot was heading on over to my new gym, which just happens to be filled with people eighty and over, pantsless in the locker room, which is what happens if you pick an old guy gym. But they've got a hot tub there, a whirlpool, and that helped nurse me back to health and and warm me up and make me feel good. So that kind of brought the life back into me, Adam. I would recommend it to you to become anti washed. Yeah. Well, I think if I lived in, uh, you know, a climate that got down to the 40s, 30s and 20s, then perhaps I would use a hot tub. But unfortunately, I live in South Florida and it does not get that cold here. Wintertime. Yeah, 50s, a couple days in the 40s if I'm lucky. And I consider it lucky. Hey, hot tub living 
is the way to go, Adam. Some people, they, they, they can't hear. They can't hear Jimmy inside that water, and that is fine indeed. Did you mention there was a third man on the show today? No, not Tommaso Ciampa, although he'll be here later. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What the hell is going on here? Gentlemen, Jack Crosby from Nepal, Northeast Pennsylvania, yingling in his blood and in his heart. Brother, back on the show. How you doing? I told everyone that I was not holding you hostage, so I hope that this exonerates me. Or is this a smokescreen? Nobody knows. Did I just allow you out to do one show so I don't so it doesn't look like I'm committing a crime? Yeah, my hostage in your new basement, which has heat, mine doesn't. So you're already one upping me as I'm wearing a bathrobe from the basement docks as we speak right now. But you two gentlemen uh, apparently have held up your end of the bargain the last couple weeks on this pro wrestling edition of the State of Combat podcast with the Brian Campbell. Many thanks as well for uh getting on your hands and knees and crawling through a lot of ish there's been good there's been bad but there's definitely been ugly where's your boy bc ben combination sickness post vacation unable to catch up on the volume of wrestling uh indifference and straight up apathy slash anger for the wwe product week to week and the fact that it surely ain't for us folks more on that to come more news at 11 but uh had a good break Uh, People want the red and black pot in their life. They want a Thursday show with just your boy BC telling you how it is on NXT and AEW. Hey, you never know, okay? There's there's whispers, there's conversations. But for now, BC back on the SOC Pro Wrestling regular. And uh, what a time to be alive, fellas. I'm sure you've been going up and down the road on that the last few weeks. But uh, can we just, can I just jump off the gun on my own show here and just tell you, Ah, uh, there's too much wrestling. There's too much wrestling on TV. There's too much wrestling in my life. There's too much wrestling for this show to attempt to talk about. There's too much wrestling to the point that the stuff that sucks gets me extra angry because there's too much of it, and I got to put in the time to log it. And sometimes the stuff that's great just gets caught up in the vicious cycle. And sometimes the stuff that's promising and really good just gets in the beat up in the middle of it, and you're forgotten about a day later because. It looks like everything else. It feels like everything else. I never thought, as I sat here for, what, nine months, a year, getting fired up for what this period is right now, the possible third boom, the revolution, all that stuff, that we would hit a point of exhaustion and over overcompensation and watered down across the board. And when Meltzer originally hit that up, with that narrative to say, no, we're not in a third boom period. We may be in a period, though, where it wears everybody down and nobody wants to watch wrestling again. I didn't think we'd be here right now, as you hear my voice echo off the the hell's going on here. Uh, I didn't think we'd be here right now and me saying it. Uh, Fellas, do I have a a point here? Are you feeling the fatigue that I'm feeling? That every time something's great, I almost need four days to recover so I can let it process. But no, you got seven more hours, BC, if you want to be up on what's going on in wrestling. I think it's really tough because... It's not just that there's too much wrestling, which there definitely is. With SmackDown being Fridays and two shows going head-to-head on Wednesdays, it's exceedingly spread out. And the four hours on Wednesday being the best product that we have right now, no matter which one you watch live, which one you watch on DVR, doesn't really matter. It feels like there's so much you need to consume in that day to be part of the conversation on Thursday or Friday or the weekend or depending on when you see your friends, when you listen to your podcast. So it's not just that 
there's too much wrestling, which there is, and we're talking AW, NXT, WWE, not even talking NWA, NJPW, which is still fantastic. I haven't had a chance to watch NJPW in forever, but it's the fact that it is so spread out, it never really gives you the opportunity to have that time without wrestling. Even when it was only WWE and you were doing three on Monday, two on Tuesday, and one on Wednesday, let's not forget. By the time that ended, unless there was a pay-per-view, and even if there was, you had three to five days with no wrestling. Or if you had wrestling, it was watching the, the being the elite on YouTube or watching NJPW at your leisure whenever you could due to the time difference. Now, wrestling is forcing you to pay attention all week, and it is too much. Um, it's what's weird now, Jack, is, uh, you know, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago when WWE was the only game in town. And, yes, we we a lot of us, you as well, were deep into the indies and, and we're supplementing WWE and getting another slice of it. But most people, WWE only, um, they're doing the kind of shoulder content now that I would have loved then. The back, WWE backstage on FS1 on Tuesday, which, which, by the way, hasn't been bad. Pretty damn entertaining. And then what's that thing they're doing now during the week? That, like, video podcast? The bump. The bump, which, the, from what I've seen of it, seems intriguing. Now it's extreme urge overkill for me, where I'm just like, I don't have the time, want, bandwidth, need for this. It's tough. It's too much of a good thing, Jack. I'm getting nervous, okay? I'm getting nervous because the bad stuff pissed me off, and the good stuff, like I said, I just file it under, oh, that was good for that hour, but let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, you and I had this discussion offline last week. I mean, it, it's it's too much in the sense that, like, just like you said, you, you don't have time to consume it and enjoy it. And, it, hell, there's even, technically, even though I rag on them, there's two shows on Tuesdays now, if you count Impact Wrestling, which technically, because they are owned by a corporation in Anthem, we have to con- still consider them somewhat of a major promotion, because they're not an independent, they're owned by a major company with some money. So now you go from NWA, and then an hour after that's over, you tune to Access, and you got Impact going on. So there's two shows on Tuesdays, for crying out loud. And no, by the way, and they got a definitely... hook, by the way, Jack, with TNA doing, the, or I'm sorry, with Impact doing the, is Tessa Blanchard going to win the championship as a female thing? It's like, you kind of have to pay attention to that. So it's just like a little bit more sprinkled on top. I, I, I rag on them a lot. I crack my jokes. But yeah, they are giving you a reason to pay attention to them. I'll give them that. For for better or worse, they're, they're giving you a reason. And it is. It's, it's too much, even for me. I love Rise for 30 some years. But there's sometimes where I take a step. I, I might I sit back on a day and I'm just like, I can't. Just everybody, just calm down. Give me a break. Get away from me. I need my space for a minute. Yeah, I mean, I like even with Impact, I like the Tessa Blanchard thing. It is giving me a reason to care about them and be interested. But it also seems forced. It seems like WWE's Women's Evolution, where it's like, hey, look what we're doing with the women. Pay attention to us. We're doing good things. Impact is like, we know we're not getting your attention, so we're going to elevate a woman. Who, by the way one of the best women's wrestlers in the world, but we're going to elevate her to this world championship thing because it's never been done before and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, like, I watched Bound for Glory. It wasn't very good. And I'm not going to watch their weekly show. And Ring of Honor is just tanking, and not just with me, who never really watched it in the first place, but with their own fans. They're not selling tickets anymore. So I do think there is a big two, clearly. I mean, not just by, by ratings, but by numbers, by all accounts. But even those... Are too much. And if you are so into the WWE product, if you're a WWE only loyalist, right? Let's say you're that person. You and and you don't watch AEW. You still have 
SmackDown, Raw, you have NXT, you have backstage on 11 o'clock at, on Tuesday nights. NXT UK is still on, 205 Live is still on. Not One pay-per-view a month. One pay-per-view a month, not to mention the shoulder content on the WWE Network, which, by the way, doesn't actually get the credit it deserves. Like, the ride-alongs and some of that stuff is actually good TV, and it's really funny. Um, so it's just so much. It's an inundation of wrestling that it's almost like I need to start picking my spots where I think NXT and AEW, AEW for now, has me every week. Raw, Jack and I have been talking about it. You haven't been on this you know, podcast to discuss it. Hopefully we do later. I think there's a lot of things happening on Raw, England notwithstanding, that are positive for the future. But SmackDown does not seem to be a show that is for the three of us as professional no. wrestlers. No, it's not for anybody, actually, to be honest. It's really well, – I can't figure out who they're aiming for. They're not even aiming for casuals. Like, they're just, it just sucks. It is just not a watchable program. And you made the good point about picking and choosing – I kind of been saying that for a while that if I'm really going to pick and choose, Raw SmackDown is not going to be on the menu because every time I catch up with NWA, I'm like, this needs to be like number two in my slot right now. AEW's got the cool factor through the roof, and like you can't miss NXT. I mean, it's 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 going in that negative direction. It shouldn't. This should be a celebration period. But to be honest, we never asked for WWE to have this many people on their roster. We never asked for a second show. We never asked for a third hour of Raw. All these things now that are becoming a negative when there's so much competition and so much going on. I just think we never really... There's a difference, I think, between you and me in terms of the not caring type of deal or, or, the, or the picking and choosing type of deal, I should say. For me, I'm not going to stop watching Raw and SmackDown because it is – they're st- good or bad, for better and for worse, especially worse recently. They are – it's a it's a product and a storyline that I have followed forever, right? And there's there's history and there's things that I, I care about the performers themselves. They have really good wrestlers on the show. But I think the picking and choosing is what I get mad about, what I care about. Like if NXT gives me a really bad main event or AEW really screws up a pay-per-view, that's going to hurt me. You know what I mean? As, as a wrestling fan. Now with WWE, I feel like I, my expectations are so low for the product that it's almost, hey, if, if they do something good, that's great. I'm going to watch it. Maybe I'll be on my phone a little bit. Maybe I'll do a little bit more work you know, for my regular job during Raw. And if something piques my interest, then I'll look up and really pay more attention to it. I think that is the picking and choosing that I'm about. I'm still going to follow those well, products. With all I'm not respect, Adam, up- you just laid out life of an abuse victim. You laid out yeah, somebody we're... who's basically saying, I'm going to stay here because I've done this forever, and I have such low expectations in this relationship, in this marriage, whatever, that anytime the guy stops beating on me and brings me home takeout, well, I'm just going to be happy I got something. And I think starting in the bedsheets, going through the periods where even the listeners were like, BC, you're going too far in that other direction. No, I'm speaking the truth. Even through me, not even wanting to be on this show of late because then WWE's killing me. I'm past that point. I'm through the woods. I'm to the point where SmackDown is just not for us. It's not really for anybody. They had a big opportunity, and they have poured that jug on the ground. That sucks. It sucks the horn. Save for the new uh, recording rate that they're doing that makes it look more like a film, which is kind of cool. And save for the fact that with the different camera angles, it actually finally looks different than Raw. 
Anything short of that, it's a massive failure. I don't see how a casual fan can get hooked because everything is so cringe and it's not even close to the best representation of of what it could be, even if your only goal is to sell T-shirts. And it's certainly not aiming at the the hardcores. It blows. Raw is so hit or miss that I'm literally at the point where these things are so far down my care line that when you add in the pay-per-views, I can't do it. This weekend, AEW Full Gear, Adam and I, you talked about this over Slack privately. We just were like, this is too much. I, I, it ended up being great. We can break it down. But it's like, I don't want this right now. And there were those weeks of fatigues in the past that we entered in willingly. We said, look, it's G1 season, folks, all right? Uh, F your football, F your feelings, and F your family because you're not going to see anybody. We're going in every day, Japan, Japan, Japan. And you'd come out of that beaten down but entertained, but you knew it was a self-contained season. It's tax season. I'm not going to be around for a while. But now we're in fire drill mode every single week. I don't care. I don't want any form of Saudi in my life again. And it's not, I'm not taking some kind of moral political stance. I'm just done with them. WWE is not for us, folks. And even NXT lately is doing some things that are getting me nervous. But uh, I had a great text exchange with the great Nick Costos. You remember that man? We love that man. He puts it out there. He says what he feels. Uh, he's said some famous quotes before in the show. Take the L and admit you're wrong because you sound ridiculous. And I'm like, Nick, they ain't for us anymore, Raw and SmackDown. And he's just like, man, they ain't for anybody. They have sold their soul to a level financially that they are no longer caring or attempting or trying to win you over and lure you back in. And I really started to think on that. And it's not a new concept, but, dude, they've accomplished financially as a company everything. They are at the top of the mountain and then the top of the of the uh, hidden mountain above that that we didn't think was there. I mean, not just being public company, not just being billions, not just signing an absurd deal in the desert for blood and not just getting in a TV deal with Fox that could supplement them forever. But they're even effing around in XFL and wasting their time there, separating themselves from the attention that it should be. They don't care. They are allowing AEW to be a thing right now. They are 100% effing around and allowing us to care about AEW this much when they could have stepped on the throats in week one. It's it's a tough season right now to even be an abuse victim, Adam, and be like, well, I still got to give them my five hours, man, because look at what they've given me well, through the years. What you, what you said is is a lot of what Jack and I talked about you know, over the last couple of weeks, and it's something I've been saying a lot, that WWE, by virtue of its own mistakes, self-inflicted wounds has opened the door for AEW. They could have very well realized what they needed to do and made enough adjustments where we as fans, just like they did kind of this time last year on the way to Survivor Series with the Becky Lynch SmackDown invasion of Raw, said, hey, we can still be cool and edgy. We can still do stuff that makes you want to watch our product. They have, and it's now been a month. uh, Actually, Six weeks, I think, since SmackDown debuted on Fox and Raw got its new deal with USA and the new sets and the, and the pyro and all that stuff. And while I have seen some changes on Raw in terms of Heyman is definitely trying to push people, they're definitely trying to tell longer-term stories, you can see effort. But the execution has been absolutely horrible. And because of that, they've opened this door for AEW to jump into the marketplace. The other thing that's interesting with WWE right now, and Jack, I'm curious about your thoughts on this as well, and it's also something else that we discussed, BC, while you were gone, is the timing of all of this has been at the absolute worst for WWE. They 
started a new TV deal, and the next day had a pay-per-view. In that pay-per-view, they made a horrendous booking decision in the main event. You didn't hate it as much as Jack and I did, BC, but the world hated it, okay, primarily. At the same time, the same week, AEW starts. WWE then has to book for a draft, a brand split. At the same time, they're building towards another Saudi Arabia show, which we all know is the absolute worst booking time of the year anytime they have to do a Saudi Arabia show. And now they come out of the, the Blood Money in the Sand 4, and they're booking for a Survivor Series, which is a cross-brand show, which is something they just did a draft to separate the rosters again. So the inclusion of NXT in that, I think, is what's saving it a little bit. But the time period, these six weeks for WWE, not to mention the controversy in Saudi Arabia, could not have been a confluence of worse events for them on top of their own mistakes. But here's the problem. Along with giving AEW a foothold, and Jack, I'll throw it over to you in a second, um, they're actually more responsible than anybody in negatively watering down the product right now and turning what could be a third boom period into a period of overexposure, Jack. And that's really – it's like – I waited all year, WWE, for you to and gave you grace and gave you patience for this moment. And this moment kind of sucks. The thing about leaving the door open for AEW right now is that it's not a joke to say you can't take these guys lightly. Yeah, they're babies. Yeah, they're new. But they also have a lot of resources at their disposal. Case in point, just this past week. Now, for my money, and I know a lot of other people feel the same. The Inside the NBA on TNT is the best studio sports show throughout all the sports. They really are. It's the most entertaining, the most important. Yeah. So it's great. Chris Jericho was on there. That's not something to just scoff at. Chris Jericho was on there promoting full gear. He was on there promoting AEW. It doesn't matter if people are wrestling fans or not. They're still seeing it. And then there might be some people who are wrestling, maybe lapsed wrestling fans who saw that and went, Oh, man, all right, in between their NBA games, they'd say, oh, well, look at this wrestling. I'm going to tune into this. You know, people, like, they're not going to threaten WWE within the next year or maybe two years even. I've said that before. you got to be patient with this. This isn't something that's going to be, boom, a knockout punch in the first round. It's not going to be that. But AEW, over the course of the past month, has done what I think is a very respectable job into showing them that we can be a threat We can be this great promotion that you want to tune into every week. Because, Adam, what's the thing we keep saying every week? And I said about Dynamite. Each and every week when they end that show, the first thing I say to myself is, I can't wait to tune in next Wednesday. Now, for a time, NXT was not doing that. Then with the Balor turn, then it was, okay, now you guys are on this platform of, I got to see what happens next Wednesday. But consistently, AEW has left me with, I have to tune into TNT next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Well, I think there are a couple... Let's say they've done six shows. I don't have the exact number. I'd say that's true for four of them. There have been. A, I don't want to come out here and say that every AEW has been perfect and they're nailing it every week, but they are doing a very good wrestling show. It's a two-hour show. They're featuring different talents each week. They're not. It's not always the same people and the same feuds, but I do think AEW is getting the benefit of being different, new, and a little bit more edgy. I don't necessarily think it's that revolutionary like we thought it would be bc has always been talking about the revolution how you know and it was really njpw coming to america is what it started that but that aw was going to be so different and so much better and i think it is better right now and it is a little different but i don't think it's as extreme as people want to make it out to be it's It's just the crowd really cares about it it's different to us it's on a night of the week where it's not really conflicting with 
football. So it's getting a lot of attention. And good for them because, as you said, Jack, Turner is promoting the absolute hell out of it. Tony Khan is spending a shit ton of money promoting AEW with Times Square billboards and all this stuff. It has already succeeded, my guess is, beyond Turner's expectations. The ratings are going down, but the number they're at is still a very good number. There's very little to poke holes in with AEW. I just think it is worth being a little bit sober at what we are seeing week to week. No, let's, let's, and if let's, you, let's, and let's, if let's you are, about it because here's the deal. They have, even though AEW isn't great all the time, it's consistently very good across the board, and they're Absolutely. doing it in the ways by dominating the cool factor. Like, even when WWE is semi-quasi-good, even when Raw gives you a random sort of moment, a segment where you're like, okay, Heyman was behind that, that was cool, still never connects the dots, and ultimately it's still the equivalent of McDonald's saying, hey, you guys love steak, here's our McDonald's steak, you're going to love it, all you talk about is that you love steak, well, dude, I don't love steak through your damn microwave, okay, that's the difference, AEW has the cool factor nailed they got the crowd bought in like we always talk about. And on top of that, they leave you wanting more every single time. So the fact that they're doing that and still not maximizing their product, it's still not great every week. It's very good. Shows you they have even more room to grow. I and mean, we haven't even seen Kenny Omega do anything Kenny Omega like that's positive yet. And that's just a and that should have been a giant pillar that sunk them. And instead <laughs> they've gotten ahead because or even in spite of it. So Look, that show, AEW Dynamite, I don't want to be sober, Adam. I want to be drunk and tell you that's ten times better than anything Raw and SmackDown is doing every single week. Oh, you like one Raw segment? That's fine. SmackDown sucks the horn. Every single week, Raw is not consistent. The show is too long. Anything that happens good dies the next week. I mean, you want to talk about me getting pumped up for Hell in a Cell. Why? Because they showed life. What'd they do with that life? We had Seth Rollins go over Brock Lesnar clean twice and then just give the title away to to the, the Fiend. And then show up the next week on Raw and be like, oh, well, now, you know, okay, who? somebody challenged me from UK. Let's forget that other thing happened. So you're not turning heel. You're not emotionally challenged or disturbed by this horror movie guy coming to your life and, and almost killing you and trying to get you to kill him. Oh, and then taking your title easily. Oh, you're just going to go like business as usual tomorrow? WWE, this is why you suck. This is why we, as the hardcores, can't have nice things. You don't care about connecting the dots. You're not for us. AEW, at the very least, their foundation is about being for us. They went out and well, gave us a hardcore well, match uh, at the pay-per-view. That, the attempt of that match was to try to be everything that WWE isn't right now. And it just kept getting better and better and better. Was the match great? Well, no, but it was very good across the board, just like AEW is. So I'm here to tell you I am drunk because that's the only show I look forward to this week with the exception NWA Power. And every single Raw, forget SmackDown, every single Raw, I leave disappointed. Now, I told you, like, Raw, and I, I, Adam and I are, are in agreement on this, and you and I have had our, our offline arguments about this. I have hope for Raw. There is hope in my heart for Raw, especially with Royal Rumble and WrestleMania season coming up because of the roster it boasts and the way Heyman is using a lot of these pieces. We've taken Drew McIntyre. Again, he's a killer. He's a killer again. He is that world championship contender that we thought he was going to be and he was rumored to be taking guys like ricochet not too much too soon too soon for someone like him there it's going to be a slow build with him turning him into a top star on that brand and utilizing a consistent 
character like Randy Orton, one of your most consistent players, you just signed to a new five-year deal. And throughout these next five years, Randy's only job is going to be putting over these younger guys. And I think he knows that, but as long as he's getting his paychecks for him and his wife to go on these vacations, he don't give a shit. But Ra, I have hope for going forward. But do you have hope Smackdown. for connecting the dots, Jack? Or do you have hope for I do. a splashy I, I, one match or second? because it was so convoluted with the Saudi Arabia show and the draft and the... I Like I said, it's going to seem convoluted. It's going to seem confusing. Once we whittle everything away and we get back on track towards WrestleMania season like we are now, even more so after Survivor Series, because you still have this brand war theme for Survivor Series. Get past that in two weeks, and yep. then we get on the track. Then, and, and if they fall, I'll be the first one to say, all right, you know what? All hope is lost. But I still have hope for Raw. Same here. And this is actually a conversation, Brian, that Jack and I have had the last couple of weeks. Uh, really since the draft, but especially the last couple of weeks. Paul Heyman, what he's doing on Raw is in this time period where he's stuck with the Saudi Arabia booking and he's stuck building for Survivor Series, which is a brand war show. He is Buddy Murphy is undefeated. Andrade is undefeated. Alistair Black uh, is okay, undefeated. But like it's not just side you, matches. You're rolling your eyes. You're rolling your eyes, but you let, let me finish. This that's all he can do. He can't necessarily start developing storylines when he doesn't know the other pieces that he's going to have to do these I things with. That, and you... a lot of his main players are embroiled in these other longer-term Survivor Series and other storylines. So my point is, what Raw has the potential to be, Brian, is what you wanted SmackDown to be before all of this started, which was a show that has actual workers that we want to see get major pushes all on one brand with a guy in charge who, and we, we know Vince is in charge, I'm just saying, but with a guy who's supposedly the executive director on the show that seemingly knows what he has and what to do with them. And for that, we feel like we can hold out hope in the, in the short term, not the long term, to say, okay, so far this build to Survivor Series, it's decent. The NXT thing has injected life into it. After Survivor Series is a prove it or lose it time. Yeah. They have two well, months until the Royal Rumble, here. their <laughs> second biggest show of the year, and they have an opportunity to do something just like they did last year with the Becky Lynch storyline. And, and that's let's see what they do. In, Sink or swim. It's let's soaked go. in so much optimism that is just not founded it's right not now. Optimism. So it's hear optimism. this out. Um, our excuse here for the abuse is, well, look, we're coming off of Saudi season and we're going into Survivor Series season, so it's a different type of... Dude, like... We're out of excuses now because then what's going to happen is after that season, oh, now it's Royal Rumble season, so they got to nail it. Oh, no, they're doing this other thing. It's really at the point where you, with this much competition, you don't have the time or the patience. Why? Because your hardcore us just put up with a year of of shit, of straight up shit, in the hopes that when the Fox move would happen, which coincides with the competition coming in, that WWE would finally say, Enough of the planning, guys. Enough of all that crap we put you forth. Now we're putting our best foot forward, finally. So when you had the hardcores like us that were like, give it a chance, give it a chance, then they stuck Saudi deep down our but throat. We're going to stuff it down your throat so hard that they you're stuffed Saudi. Yeah, okay, enough of that. They stuffed Saudi so hard down our throat. On top of that, at the worst possible time, when our patience was so thin. So now you're going to sit here and go because of because of an in-between Buddy Murphy match that he's unbeaten and a couple of these side moments that are no, like, okay. What I'm no, no, it's, it's not even pad. against you. Hold on. It's not even against you, Adam. I'm talking about in general of like, I don't know where you can hold that optimism when it is such a fertile time. Now, forget the hardcores. 
just talk about the casuals. Let's say you used to watch wrestling and you hadn't since the 90s or you had once or twice since the 90s and everybody's like, hey, wrestling's hot again. And the thing that is most further in your face of anything else is the retooled SmackDown, which doesn't appeal to anybody. And if that's your taste of what wrestling could be in 2019, you're never finding out that AEW exists. You're never finding out that you can watch NXT on Wednesday nights. You're probably not hanging around long enough to find that good segment in the middle of Raw that is giving you guys hope. You can't play that game anymore. You can't play the, well, let's wait till Mania season, then Heyman will show us. It's now or never, and it's becoming never. And with WWE having this Fox deal, they are so elevated above everybody else in terms of the public consciousness that they're ruining that. They're creating even more watering down. They're not for us. They don't get it. They will lose. They're going to hurt the whole industry. A lot of what you're saying is true, but what you're calling excuses are actually just perspective and reasoning here it's just like the first saudi show that they held two weeks after wrestlemania that had no chance to succeed because it was all rematches and it was going to be absolute crap in this particular situation this show was scheduled it's not like wwe could have just said oh well we're doing the the tv deal and all this stuff we have to push this show that ain't gonna work with a government like saudi arabia so what i think is interesting about the current period we have and why jack and i are saying it's not about this individual moment from one show, it's about a lot of different pieces that we're seeing from Raw over the last three weeks is this, Brian. There is eight months between now and the next Saudi show. They're not doing it in April or May. They're doing it next June. There's an eight-month gap where that is not, as you would call it, an excuse. They have three of their biggest pay-per-views in the next six months. Survivor Series coming up. Build has been decent at least the nxt part the card looks very good okay and we have to give them that you may not like the storylines we're getting on tv the card for one of their four biggest pay-per-views of the year looks fire straight up fire that's number one then they have their second biggest uh, whether you believe SummerSlam is or not one of the most exciting pay-per-views of the year in royal rumble where we know storylines can change direction it sets the stage for wrestlemania and then they have wrestlemania okay so wwe in this build to wrestlemania the six-month period, and it's really even shorter for me. It's really up until Royal Rumble. But in the six-month period to WrestleMania, it's do or die, win or cry, go baby, go. That's it. If they can't sell us Royal Rumble, if they can't sell us WrestleMania 36, which isn't in their hometown, but it is in their, let's call it almost home state of Florida, where they should be able to get Terry, like him or not, and, and maybe put Roman over and, and all the stuff that they want to do. If they can't win the next six months, they are effing done. But to not have the perspective, and I'm not saying you don't, but, but to just crap all over the last six weeks and say, yeah, it was bad, but there's no reason for it. There are some legitimate reasons for it. It shouldn't have, no matter what, been as bad as it is, but they also didn't have the ability, probably due to scheduling, due to all these other things, Do not to go from zero to, to not- listen, let me finish. To go from zero to 100 like we want them. I know, but look, they they have already bastardized WrestleMania because of this Saudi show. 
Now, whatever you believe on the dirt sheets of what really happened at the most recent Saudi show with the plane and Vince and the money and all that, even if that's 25% true, guys, they are constantly doing things that back them further in the ditch, and we are constantly attempting, you are, to give them a pass. Or No, dude, Saudi I'm not is, giving them a pass. Uh, dude, dude, I call the is a kick. thing blood money in the sand. I don't, I'm not giving them a pass on Saudi. Saudi is a Trump. kick to the stick of your wrestling it soul. Is. The fact that they it bastardized is. WrestleMania, two WrestleManias to go for it, is inexcusable. Or the Royal Rumble match for it. Inexcusable. We are at the point where the system is broken. Do you want to know why there is a possibility of a third boom period right now? It's not because WWE went on mainstream TV. It's because indie wrestling and NJPW and everything going on that influenced and created what we like about NXT now is the revolutionary part. The fact that wrestling in 2019 in this era is so damn athletically great that when you add top-level storytelling, the same storytelling we enjoyed in the 80s and 90s, mind you, it's it's Shakespeare, as Nick Nicostos would say, but it's Shakespeare on steroids. And the fact that in 2019, WWE's top two products are still not presenting 2019 wrestling to you is un forgivable we are too doubt long down that rabbit hole we've tasted and seen what njpw can be we've now tasted and seen what aew can be what nwa power can be just by redoing the 80s and giving it to us how we like it, it there's no more excuse to present short-term storylines that go nowhere with pro style wrestling in 2019 which is what raw and smackdown's giving us it's inexcusable it's not close to the best product that's out there and i will not sit in front of this microphone maybe i should go away because i cannot sit here and try to defend them anymore i need to tell you that wednesday nights are for you they're the only thing we need right now what's going on on monday and friday for the most part is inexcusable I want to get us to uh, AEW full gear. I want to get us to the Tommaso Ciampa interview. I just being the combat impresario that you are here at CBS Sports and also Showtime, where you can watch was it Mortal Kombat? No, Morning Combat uh, Mondays on Showtime. Uh, YouTube, is that correct? Yeah, Showtime's digital channels, YouTube and Facebook, twelve Eastern every Monday. Get your so, uh, MMA and boxing fix with no rules, no punches pulled. All right, we may even say the F word. Keep going, Adam. Being that, being that Brian absolutely loves combat sports and certainly is a huge Logan Paul fan from what I understand, I wanted to get your thoughts because Jack, it's only Jack and I that, that have actually had this opportunity to discuss it. Kane Velasquez, Tyson Fury, yeah. obviously we know Blood Money in the Sand 4, garbage. But I'm curious what you think, VC, about the booking of Kane, given the history, uh, given the UFC match between the two, and how Tyson Fury was presented, not just as a professional athlete and as a boxer, but compared to others like Floyd Mayweather that have been in WWE in the past. Uh, I want to start off with Tyson Fury. I want to get the, the bad out of the way. Tyson Fury was an abomination, what he brought to the table. It was almost to the degree <laughs> now looking back that they should have just done your typical athlete trash-talking segment where maybe a push or maybe one punch is thrown in the ring, and that's it. The fact that they used the Saudi money as the blanket to just say, hey, Let's let's put him in the microwave. Let's give him a quick workout down in Orlando and just make this happen so we can all cash checks. Um, even though Tyson had a couple decent moments on that build on the microphone, that press conference that we hyped about last time I was on was just an abomination. Tyson Fury yeah. came out there in that match and was one of the worst celebrity crossovers <laughs> that we could ever have imagined. Everything about it was cringe. Everything about it. Every single movement, every bump he took, everything about it was get-off-my-screen-level cringe. Then to have him win, and I, I guess you can always argue that if the celebrity doesn't sign a full-time deal, which 
Kane just kind of just did, they're always going to go over, right? Spoiler alert, that's how it works. Stephen Amell went over. By the way, one of the better crossovers we've seen, even though it was lower level in terms of star power. But to have Tyson come back, and I get why they'd bring him back in Manchester this past week, and to then roll out Braun Strowman, and it's like, you've already killed Braun Strowman, all right? You already made him <laughs> carry Tyson through that shit match and then go get do the job and then get knocked out by the punch. And then you have him completely compromise the coolness of his, of his character, and they're going to bro out suddenly, and then they're going to beat up the B team. Like, that's such bullshit that just cannot be tolerated in 2019. Like, that's like some carny... Ish, And if we hadn't had anything like that in a long time, and if they'd given Tyson Fury more time on the mic, I may have been able to be more at ease with it. And you got to say, like, I love Tyson Fury. Like, I love what he brings to the table in boxing. And that was just crap. Kane, on the other hand, I think was just bungled. They rushed it. This should have been a WrestleMania storyline. If this was a WrestleMania match, this is a moment in time for combat fans and wrestling fans. This is the guy who gave Brock the damn scar on his face. It's like they had the right storytelling. It was rushed. Kane wasn't ready physically. I know why they did that short match. But optically, it's, it's, it's funny. It's what anybody ever says that WWE hires. Let's say WWE hires you to be like an on-screen personality, but you're not full-time. The second you go full-time... You just become another another jobber on their roster that they can dump on. Kane signing full-time, I think, it was just so much easier for them to go, all right, Kane, you're going to do the job. Brock gets the win back. And I know you can argue maybe that's the best way to tell the story. But you know what isn't the best way to tell the story? Not letting him get into good enough shape, rushing it back, and giving it to Saudi, which is the biggest middle finger to fans because of the chaos it throws to the natural storytelling process, pay-per-view to pay-per-view. The fact that it's just so gratuitously, like, in-your-face shameless. So the fact that they pushed that into the middle of that ended up staining to a degree what that feud could have been, and obviously it can still go on, and when Kane comes back, you can still even do a Mania match. I just think this made it, it made it look poor. I think there was a lot of different, a lot of better, bigger things they could have done. Kane didn't necessarily fail from the standpoint that I already knew Kane was going to suck on the mic. If you watch UFC, you know that was going to be the problem. By the way, spoiler alert, that's why WWE didn't sign him in the first place. And you can argue they only really signed him because AEW had interest. So it's just, you know, that was so forced down our throats. And even if that was a strong strategy for Friday Night SmackDown, to use those celebrity crossovers as fuel to launch, execution-wise, I didn't like it. Well, I think what's interesting is Jack, when we had spoken about it offline, when the three of us were talking about Kane in general, he came up with the booking where you, even if you want Kane to lose, right? If you want the the referee to get distracted by Paul Heyman and and you have you know him get attacked by the chair, and you hurt his actual knee that's actually injured, as opposed to having him submit, which makes him look like a bitch to Brock Lesnar. I know, I know, in UFC there's not much shame. In submitting, but in WWE there is. It's a different sport. Well, just to pause right? you on that, and there's no consistency from the fact that Brock has no submission game in WWE and in, in UFC, by <laughs> yes. the way. And now he's going to well, tap no, out Kane, arguably the greatest heavyweight of all time. But well, no, I mean he used this, the Kimura lock on Taker. He's beaten a lot of people with the Kimura. Yeah, lock. But, but 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 just one second. Yes, he has. But you cannot pull that on a man we once considered the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. Fine, and and, and I'm with you guys. I'm with you on all that. So th- that's kind of what I'm saying is. I didn't so much mind Kane, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, looking like the bitch in the situation, getting beat up. But I think there's a way to protect this guy who you've just signed versus 
Now he's off TV. You have Rey Mysterio in the storyline, which we all kind of suspected was the direction they were going to go. But you don't have a reason that Kane's out. They haven't said he broke his forearm. Right. Uh, he kicked him in the knee. Uh, he, you know, he's out getting surgery. So, my, so maybe, listen, maybe Kane comes back at Survivor Series and does something, and they're really going to just keep doing this back and forth all the way to WrestleMania. But what I objected to wasn't so much the booking, but the lack of any foresight. And it, BC, it almost makes me feel like they shouldn't have announced him signing long-term, make exactly. people think it's a one-off. Well, and and you then know, actually sign him long term, and then you bring him back. Exactly. And you say Kane wants revenge so and bad. You make that him he look signs like with making him tap out was to your point. Make him look like a bitch unnecessarily. So the idea, exactly. if you're going to long term, it should have been an injury. But how about just this factor, the curiosity factor? You only get once. You only get one time for the fans to go. Oh my god, I wonder what Kane will look like. I wonder what story they're going to tell. I wonder how they're going to take the real life story, which was great, and Brock just getting his ass kicked and Kane rising. And make that work in WWE. And like everything else they do, it was microwaved and fast forward for money. And there's no attention to detail to the longer, bigger picture. And it's like, Brock just jobbed to Seth twice. And then came back as a chicken shit heel cashing in that briefcase. And it's like, there's no consistency. I mean, guys, seriously, the fact that Seth Rollins came back after that and is just back to business as normal. Like, he's so freaking unlikable. But I thought they were setting him up to be unlikable for the heel turn. There's no care or attention to detail, guys. They're going to keep switching brands. The wild card rule will probably come back. I don't care. You shouldn't care. Save yourselves. Here's your chance. Adam, this actually isn't a podcast. Tommaso Ciampo's not coming through that door. This was an intervention <laughs> organized by the listeners, me, Jack, and D. Mitty, to get you to save yourself before it's too late. What are you talking about? We're, we're on the same page about all of this. Don't give them the excuse. They are not in it to please you. Adam. I'm not giving. All right. We're not, we're not, we're not going to relitigate that. The uh, strangest before- thing about the Kane thing to me, guys, is that not only was it unnecessary, but it was used as a pawn to set up. Now, and here's where I'm conflicted. I am that Ray versus that, that Ray Mysterio Brock Lesnar match is going to be a banger. Like we already agreed on that. Love it. Adam I love the I build. It's going to be a it. banger. But the Kane Velasquez stuff was used as a pawn to set up that feud. It, like this long-standing rivalry between Brock and Kane stemming outside WWE, not only made Kane look like a bitch. But it was used to set up a feud with a 44-year-old stem cell-infused Rey Mysterio. And I don't even think it was planned that way. But I get what you're saying because they don't plan anything, Jack. It's just like, you know what that probably happened was, oh, crap, we can't let this guy go to AEW. Let's sign him now. Oh, you want to do the UFC rematch? Yeah, let's do it in Saudi. We'll give them the, you know, it's like, that's how it's thought of. The fact that Vince rewrites everything on the plane the day of, this can't go on in 2019. Thank you to NXT for largely giving us an oasis. And thank you for AEW with your cool factor with, and here's the thing, one more point on AEW. You know, I, I had thought revolution, and like you said, Adam, I thought that meant NJPW-style wrestling. Or I thought that meant, hey, if AEW can come out and give us a different NXT, this is great. They get it. They're coming out and giving us WCW. But the good part of WCW in the 90s, and it rules. And I never realized how much my wrestling heart needed that. And to add that you also have NWA power giving you straight 80s in your veins those two are, are really filling roles that we need right now, but they're also just straight up filling the only thing that I need right now. And I wish 
the feeling that I have watching AEW and NWA and, and to sometimes a lesser degree NXT, I wish that was the feeling for anybody. This needs to be the front page news every week in wrestling because what Raw and SmackDown is doing, even when they bring in the celebrity crossover, is just not getting it done for any era. It's not working. Absolutely. All right, I want to talk quickly. We're going to get into the pay-per-view on AEW, but I do want to um, hit up uh, the NXT invasion as a whole real quick. I'm sure people want to hear my thoughts on here. Um, Adam, I talked to you and Jack offline at certain points in this. Uh, quickly, at, at the one-week mark, I was nervous because I don't love the idea that you're taking everything we love about NW, NXT and then just throwing it on the main roster in main roster ways and sort of saying, let's try to save Raw and SmackDown by taking NXT, but again, guys, it's not the NXT performers that make NXT. It's the freedom they're given and the style of booking by Triple H. So the first week to me felt too copy and paste. It felt too much like, hey, remember I had a mania when we tried to bring up Tommaso Ciampa and make him a main eventer and the same optics gave us pause? Why are you doing this again and letting him go over the Miz? I will say that they've repaired that to a large degree when Seth Rollins comes out and issues an open challenge. And Imperium answers it, and it's not your typical copy and paste. We don't know how to book these NXT guys, so let's just make them Nexus, or let's do the core 2.0, which the original launch had felt like. Now you're getting into something. Now you're getting into the idea of what WWE's saying is we've got these great workers in NXT. Let's see what it looks like when they mix them with our workers. And the fact that there's just a little tiny bit of attention to detail to that has given me some hope. Did I love that it turned into an inevitable eight-man tag? No, but like you tweeted out, Adam, like it was fire. They gave us a reason to care. I cannot and will not deal with NXT people, even for the gimmick short season of Survivor Series, being put into this mindless robot role of because you're NXT, we're going to do this Nexus-style invasion and you have to go out there and be violent and kill any red or blue you see in front of you. That's bullcrap. That's bad booking. If they can get away from that and give us the core not sorry for the pun there, but the core of what this use of NXT people in Survivor Series should be, and a great example of that is that triple threat match, AJ Styles versus Nakamura versus Roddy Strong. That's really what it should be, because if Survivor Series has achieved in small areas the last couple of years, it has been giving us those one-off dream matches that don't necessarily have or need a build-up, and it's really just all about... God, what would it look like if Lesnar fought Styles? I know they're never going to give us a real program, so what would it look like? They are capitalizing on that effectively. Now I actually care about Survivor Series, where in general, even AEW's pay-per-view coming in last week, like I mentioned, too much. Just don't care. I think we need to overhaul the entire pro wrestling system and go away from every month we have to have a pay-per-view because you're only watering it down. But they got it with that unique formula. I need them to stay unique on the storytelling in this invasion. I do not need Paul Levesque and his bracelets to come on and try to act like he's not a Raw and SmackDown executive and only be Patriarch Warrior and pretend he's sitting on a tank uh, invading Nitro with his NXT boys. Like, dude, don't give us that. That's crap. That's lazy. That's mailed in. Give us something a little bit next level and different. And this could work in this season in every optic. How? Could make Ron SmackDown more palatable. Can increase your ratings on NXT because you're sending AJ and the Good Brothers over there like they did last week. And C, you can deliver a one-off night on pay-per-view at Survivor Series that doesn't need to further affect future storylines because it's really an all-star game. That's what Survivor Series is. It's an all-star game. But the failure in that 
negatively, I think, is how it has affected NXT specifically this past week. Maybe you guys disagree. I'm going to give you that chance. I do not need, I've never needed war games in NXT. I certainly don't need it with an open cage. And I certainly don't need it women's style just to do it, to say you've done it. And then I certainly don't need it the same month and weekend that you're already doing Survivor Series. You're already taking an all NXT team and putting it out there against Raw and SmackDown. We don't need war games the same weekend, which is the same idea. Let's take people that aren't friends, that don't work together, and let's make them work together for the sake of it. That's seemingly overkill, and I think it's robbing from the fresh uniqueness of NXT storytelling, which is about who's next in line. I'm going to fight you for the title. I'm strong. Let's, let's have this feud. And I think it's more gimmicky of, I need four people on my team. You need four on yours. Let's go in that, uh, let's go in that damn war games for no reason. Don't do that to me, NXT. Be who you were. Don't try to be anything else. Real quick, quick, couple really quick things. One, the women's war games thing, they've been building to that storyline for months. So I have no issue with them doing it because they didn't just throw it together. They didn't just say, okay, we're going to do a women's Royal Rumble like WWE main roster did. This is actually a story they've been telling about women trying to become the number one contendership for Shayna's title and the horsewoman having her back and the other heels getting involved. It's been a whole thing. So I'm totally fine with that. That's number one. It's number two, you can hate the invasion. It's overkill on the idea of what the War Games match was. And since they're already kind of bastardizing it to begin with, it's too much. That's fine. The overall invasion of NXT, you may not like it. That's fine. I just think it's fair to understand they're treating them no different. And this is for the worse, but also the better in terms of they actually care about NXT as main roster brands. Don't forget, two years ago, they did a male invasion. Last year, they did a, a female invasion during their Survivor Series of Raw and SmackDown themselves. Now they're doing an NXT invasion. And if we're being honest, the, all the shows that have come since maybe haven't been great. But the initial NXT invasion, which, yes, had to do with the Saudi Arabia travel issues. Brian, I, I feel like and Jack and I were totally in agreement on this in terms of loving it. You didn't love it. No. And I thought that was a as good of a two hour SmackDown as we're going to get. In this Fox era, it was well booked. The matches were good. It was exciting. You didn't know what was going to happen next. And NXT went over on every opportunity. Well, that's that's what? also part of my problem, to be really honest with you. And I'm not sitting here trying to just hate on something because it happened on SmackDown. That's not the feeling. Overall, were there moments on that specific one-off Saudi SmackDown episode that were great? Of course there were. There was some intensity in the background attacks. But that was my where I was most... Uh, nervous about what this is doing because of everything I said. You can't take the NXT people out of that environment. Like, we're at the point where I love and respect that NXT is now a legitimate third brand, but here's the problem, WWE. NXT is the only brand that's presented as 2019 professional wrestling. It's the only brand where the storylines connect, where the workers are allowed on the pay-per-views to go out there and have the match of their lives and tell a real story of a potential five-star offering. And you're going to mix that and merge that with what we don't like about Raw and SmackDown, and just put a generic, like I said, Nexus-style invasion on this, that doesn't do it for me. When I see people are just showing up in the locker room attacking people, that's like the laziest possible way you can do this. And again, to have Paul and Triple H just standing there as like these rebels and these that's... warriors when they're not corporate raiders, and to have Steph come out in the middle of this and not even be like, hey, hey honey, yeah. Your, your yellow problem. and black kids are beating the crap out of our stars and instead be like, hold on, guys, let's pat ourselves on the back one more time over Saudi. Even though the match <laughs> happening has nothing to do with this, it's such typical crap that 
you guys can press pause on that and go, yeah, but they gave us Daniel Bryan and Adam Cole, and Adam Cole went over. I don't even know if I want Adam Cole to go over because in this invasion, it's obvious that they're doing it to save Raw and SmackDown and kind of save Survivor Series. Yes, Paul can say, yeah, but it's giving our NXT guys shine. What's our end game as hardcore fans? Is our end game to have Champa and Cole on the main roster at WrestleMania? Not for me, guys. I'm sorry. It's not believable to watch an Adam Cole go in there against a Sheamus or a Miz or whatever and get a win. It was quasi-believable, Daniel Bryan, and he's an indie sensation. I don't need that crossover. There is a line there. So for me to get all excited about an NXT inv- invasion, i got to say, what's the end game? That you take the great stars of NXT and just plug them back into the crap microwave steak that we see on Raw and SmackDown? Not going to get me excited in the end unless you have a specific angle. What was the best invasion ever? Hall and Nash on WCW because it was fresh and we hadn't seen that. There was an angle to it. So like I said, they've repaired that to a certain degree. Having Imperium show up, it just felt different. Even Shayna Baszler showing up felt great because she's actually somebody who you're cheering for to get this rub to see what she would look like opposite of Becky. The other people, it's like your endgame as Johnny Gargano is NXT. You've even said it yourself on this show. I don't need you going to the main roster. You can stay in high school, Billy, forever. Don't cross that over. That fear's legitimate, guys. You can't tell me you watch Champa beat Miz and be like, hell yeah, man, NXT, let's go. Sorry, uh, the champ- Champa's still 5'6". You know, you're not beating the Miz like that with a big man style. No, the Champa Miz thing, I agree with that. I think the Brian Cole and the Seth Rollins Brian, uh, Seth Rollins Cole are two different things. But you're asking what you would really want to get out of it. Well, what you want, what, what we would want is for WWE to get NXT to be the highest rated show and say, this is what we want, WWE, not what you're giving us on Raw and SmackDown. And Brian, honestly, if you want that to happen, you've got to expose these NXT guys they have. in some way to a WWE audience. Adam, and that's you're, what they're doing in these couple Vince of weeks. Is Vince McMahon still alive? Yes. Then you can't have that. And Adam, in your heart, however black it is as a wrestling fan, you know it's true, Adam. You can't have that while Vince is alive. Why is Paul allowed to have that in NXT? One, because he's covered it like a patriarch, like a papa, and not let it in. And two, because Vince has got too much crap going on, okay? But you cannot let that happen. It's almost the worst thing that can happen. My my point, BC, is that I think this is going to be a slow process. And you know what else is a slow process? Hiring can be a slow process. Cafiel Torres COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. And with results like that, it's no reason why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash corner. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-O-R N-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash corner. You know it, BC, ZipRecruiter. 
It's the smartest way to hire. Yeah, it's smart as a ball bag, all right? Shout out to ZipRecruiter there. Um, to close, and we got to welcome in Tommaso Ciampa in a minute. We're going to hit up all things AEW full gear. You better believe that, okay? This show's getting off the rails. This may be my last time on the State of Combat podcast. You never know. All right, here's the deal <laughs> on that. Um, you said it's going to be a slow change over time. So if that end game is to have Raw and SmackDown look and taste and feel like NXT, Jack, we want that so badly. But can that actually realistically get there without compromising and watering down what is great about it on the road there. I think this utilizes two things, this whole NXT invasion. Number one, like Adam said, and you can't disagree with this, it's a commercial for NXT. Yep. All of these appearances, they're a commercial for NXT on the USA Network, and by all accounts, looking at the ratings last week, it worked. Yep. It definitely worked. Um, because they did not just I also really quick I'm sorry Jack they didn't pre-announce that AJ Styles was going to be there that was best part had they done that you could have said well that's why but that wasn't why they actually no actually they did but how they did it was interesting at about 7 45 p.m they posted the video on Twitter of the OC attacking them okay but that's not TV but but it was a good utilization of social media which is which is yes. what you do in 2019 people are scrolling through their Twitter and they go oh crap look what just happened and then you're gonna get those last minute tune-ins I also think that it's a good gauge of seeing who might work on the main roster and Brian I get your fears I really truly do that we've seen bad things happen with NXT guys on the main roster but we've seen good things happen I think this is also a good opportunity to throw guys like Adam Cole out there and say, how do they hit with the main audience? A Walter. Oh, how did God, they, that was look, great. Put Walter in Moment with of Seth Rollins. That, that was premeditated. Putting Walter in there with, in the ring with Seth Rollins was a premeditated move. Yeah, F and, Lars Sullivan. There's your Lars Sullivan right there. Don't and, F with it. I, don't change a thing. I understand everyone knows I'm a fanboy. He knocked it out of the park last yes. night. Yes. Walter did. He showed the world what he's about. Nobody's yep. going to forget him now. But it, it it all depends what happens after this. Because now you've set a precedent for these main roster fans of here's these NXT guys. And I they, they understand it is for a Survivor Series build. But some of those main roster fans who don't necessarily watch NXT and may not want to watch NXT might want some more of these guys. Which is why I'm kind of heartbroken we haven't seen Velveteen Dream. I understand he's injured, but I, we don't know how bad. But I wish we could have seen him through all this because I'd like to see how he resonated with that main roster audience. Yeah, and I and I want to say AJ and the Good Brothers. First of all, shout out to the Good Brothers, such an underused talent. And yet, when they open Raw this week early, with you know going across from Randy, I mean, it was great. These little moments uh, are positives. Okay, them showing up at NXT, monster positive. Finn Balor's heel turn on Gargano was an all time great wrestling moment especially considering this season where's the button the mega powers are about to explode in my pants right now they did explode thank you fergal adam how long on this podcast have i told them ferg prince get the hell away you're almost 40 bro stop going down the toilet bowl over and over again no pumpkin demon no jobbing out to Kane. be a star cross the street Go back to Japan. Go to AEW. Okay, contracts didn't work out. But here's a guy who took his future and said, I am an artist. I don't need the damn demon. I'm actually the coolest I can possibly be with a leather jacket. 
being Prince Devin. This is the greatest thing that ever happened. And he had to go to NXT to do it. I hope more people do that. If anyone ever in proximity in my lifetime in the flesh in front of me, even with the problems of Kenny Omega's character since the AEW launch, which seemingly have been self-induced. He's taking a backseat for a reason. Whatever, whatever. There's a lot of topics they're worth discussing. If anyone tries to tell me, that even you, Jack, that Kenny Omega should have gone to WWE or can yeah. never be this or that if he doesn't go there. Guys, it's 20 freaking 19. It's about artistry. It's about being happy. It's about being allowed to be the best version of you. So, Adam, if it's NXT's ratings and the shine they get from this that finally changes WWE's hand to a certain degree, I'll certainly be behind it. Maybe, hopefully, it's AEW's constant rise in addition in ratings and just critical value that will eventually make WWE change. But if WWE does not change, man, they're killing the business. They're straight up killing the damn business. Yeah, I think there is a short, defined period of time that I know Jack and I agree about. I think we may have you a little bit on the side on this, that there is a short defined period of time for WWE to save itself, Y2J. And if it doesn't, then it's over, over. Not just like, hey, we'll kind of watch it and maybe something pops us and, and we can get excited about it. But WWE is a short defined period of time to legitimately fix its product and get us excited for its biggest season of the year. And every, they have no more reasons or excuses, or whatever term you want to use to say, well, they have this coming up, they have that coming up, they're, they're off kilter right now, Eric Bischoff let, you know, got fired when we didn't think he was going to. I mean, BC, a lot's happened since you haven't been here. Um, but it is, it is a defined window where coming out of Survivor Series, they have a true reset. There's really not many storylines on Raw or SmackDown that are not involved in this upcoming pay-per-view. There's one, we don't even need to talk, Rusev, Lana, Lashley. I think you may have something with uh, Roman Reigns and Corbin on SmackDown. But outside of those, there's not that Who much going on. Who cares? So, so coming out of Survivor Series, I'm going to be very interested to see what WWE proper does to try and fix their storytelling and give us a product well, that we can watch and enjoy. It, it closed, Well, the storytelling closed Raw last night. I mean, and, and here's where it kills me, BC, when I say hope. We're talking about how convoluted and a mess everything is, yet throughout the whole show last night and to end the show, they are teasing Ricochet and Randy Orton. Yeah, I popped for that. Can't get along. And now, come on, the two of you have to agree with me. A Randy Orton-Ricochet program slash a series of two to three matches. You're tuning in. Well, especially Come with that now. attention to detail that they did with the tiny little moments backstage, the fake on the uh, RKO. Yes, that's storytelling. Thank you. I need that, how, please. How about the face-to-face at the end where Randy audibly, without a microphone, says to him, you never know what I'm going to yeah. do, kid. Like, don't Nothing forget face this. To face. I can- yeah. Nothing face-to-face. Nothing face-to-face. I can get you any time, and that popped me. I like the match. I like the backstage segment, but that little off-mic situation right there said to me, freaking Paul Heyman's doing something. Like, well, that's what that's what it element. is because you have, and this is where I love, I love and have that hope for Raw I talked about. You got a guy in Ricochet who we knew from the moment Paul Heyman took over. Everyone said that's one of his guys. It's one of his top guys. Now he's saying, okay, I'll take one of my top guys and then I will take the guy we just signed to a five-year contract, the, the, the veteran here, and we're going to put them in a program because I know they're going to work well together. Randy's going to do his damnedest to get this kid over. 
All right, we got to pause here. We got to bring in Tommaso Ciampa. This conversation will continue. We got a full AEW full gear breakdown coming your way. The show is off the rails. Your boy BC is back. Daddy is home, squared. And the first daddy coming back for Goldie coming on the show is NXT superstar Tommaso Ciampa in your ear hole right now. Enjoy. Pleased to welcome in. Hey, he said it. It might be true. The greatest sports entertainer of all time, NXT superstar Tommaso Ciampa. You can check him out every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, USA Network on NXT. And you might want to watch Raw on SmackDown. You may see him popping up there now and then as well. Tommaso, thanks so much for joining us, man. What a time to be alive as a pro wrestler. Good Lord. I love the energy. I thank you for the warm welcome. I just wish you didn't say he might be because it's a damn guarantee. I am the greatest sports entertainer of all time, and I prove it every single week on Wednesday nights on USA with NXT. Yeah, what a what a backhanded compliment there indirectly. Um, Let me talk to you about this. We loved you in DIY. You and Johnny stole our hearts. I even, of course, like everybody else, was popping when you guys began that singles feud. But even then, if you stopped me and told me that Tommaso Ciampa would become where he is now, in which last year we're going, who's the, who's the top heel in wrestling in the entire world? And your name is popping up. I mean, did you know, honestly, that you could be this good when separated, put alone, and put up there as a main event NXT championship level talent? I think it's all one question, so the answer is yes, I did. Uh, Johnny Gargano, to me, uh, and I think a lot of people agree, he's the best professional wrestler in the world today. Uh, No doubt about it. Inside the ring, bell to bell, there's just nobody better. So having him as a teammate for uh, years as part of DIY uh, helped me tremendously. It it helped me elevate my in-ring game. Uh, I just knew the entire time as DIY that that I, unlike Johnny Gargano, I'm a sports entertainer. He's a professional wrestler. It, it sounds like it's the same thing, but it's slightly different. And I just knew that I needed a slightly different platform and different stage to highlight all of the things that I could do, whether it be on the microphone or just simply my presence and my aura. So once we separated, yeah, man, I, I knew. I knew it was just a matter of time until the world saw what I already knew. And, uh, Unfortunately, the neck injury happened, uh, just like unfortunately the, the ACL injury happened. But sometimes injuries could be the best thing that happens to a guy because it just allows you to fresh it up and allows the crowd to miss you. And just like you said, going from the top uh, quote-unquote heel in the industry, taking some time away to heal up my neck and allow the people to miss me and understand what it was that they had with me uh, and just how special I am. It allowed me to come back. I haven't changed a damn thing. I am who I am. But the people, I think they just understand now exactly what they have with me. And they seem to be embracing that uh, every step of the way now. Well, you mentioned those two big injuries. And we've seen so many guys get insanely hot. And then they hit a, a unplanned break like that. those type of injuries that you hit. Sometimes they're never the same. Tommaso, sometimes they just don't get... The right booking. Sometimes timing is an issue. For you to come out of both of those and and almost get better in the public eye, how much was that a blessing? How much were you able to use that time off camera to sort of build the resolve that you're showing right now when you're in front of it? Yeah, both were blessings in totally different ways. I mean, with the ACL, I think it just allowed 
one, I, I ha- I've been wrestling at that time for two years on two shoulders that needed to be repaired. So it allowed me to heal my shoulders, get some uh, work done on those. But it's just the timing of it being uh, that I would go away the, the day after uh, turning on my best friend, Johnny Gargano. It just allowed people uh, in a world of instant gratification to wait and it, it forced everybody's hand. It forced us not to pay off things right away, and it forced the crowd to wait. And in that time away, it was about nine months total, it just, uh, Johnny Gargano just took on a whole new life of his own uh, in one of the best uh, singles runs probably in NXT history. And that match with Andrade was just icing on the cake uh, that he had to take over January. So it was just like, it was kind of like a perfect storm. And then this time around, it was a blessing in a completely different way. Uh, I don't think it's any secret anymore that I, I do actually have a family away from the business. And we, uh, my wife and I had just had a baby girl uh, in September, and I went down with my neck injury and, and took some time off in March. And the baby was six months old at the time, so it just allowed me to be home and kind of get away from wrestling, just step away from the entire world of it and just take time at home and watch all of her first and be a part of everything. So two completely different reasons, but both times just kind of gave me a chance to hit the reset button. And like I said, there's nothing better for a performer in a industry that has no off season uh, than to be able to take time away and be missed because not many people get that luxury. No, absolutely. And I can so, totally see with the family opportunity how much that's a blessing. Uh, you were, though, at this point, ahead of Mania with Johnny Gargano, seemingly about to tell us, I don't want to say the final chapter, but the final chapter maybe of that specific storyline and that season. And then you get that taken away from you. And then Johnny, to his credit, and Adam Cole go out there and give me, as a sports entertainment pro wrestling fan, maybe the greatest match my eyes have ever seen, certainly in person, and one of the best of all time. Is there any bittersweet element to that for you, knowing the plans you guys had going into that Mania season? Uh, I'd be lying if I said no, especially at the time. Now it's kind of taken on a a different light. But at the time, yeah, man, it was very bittersweet. Uh, I I was there in the arena that night. Uh, The crowd was just electric. Like you said, that is hands down one of the best uh, professional wrestling matches I've ever seen, uh, let alone been live for. Uh, Just the crowd reactions, too. It was just incredible. I think they went like 45 minutes together. And there was no doubt that Adam Cole was ready. It was just for him, he's always been a guy with perfect timing throughout his entire career. So, uh, it, it, once again, for him, perfect timing that he was able to just step in and take such a big stage. For Johnny and I, it was just different. I mean, I, I don't, I kind of like to look at it like there is no final chapter. Uh, and not just because we didn't have that match at, at TakeOver Mania last year, but I just don't think there is ever a final chapter. Like, I, I kind of look at someone like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and that entire rivalry when they teamed together at DX, whether they separated and they were, they were fighting with one another. There was just never an end point, you know, and sometimes maybe things would cool down, but anytime they stepped into the ring together, there was an instant chemistry. And I feel that way with Johnny and I, I don't think there was ever a, a final chapter, uh, but bittersweet for sure. I mean, just the idea of walking in, to take over WrestleMania weekend, knowing I was going to main event uh, in there with somebody I have such great chemistry with, uh, walking in as the NXT champion. Of course, it's something that you, you dream of and you want. Um, 
but with that said, it's just this industry is what it is, and there's always the next big event. And I kind of tell that to anybody who does get injured, and I, I had to take my own advice on that one because uh, here I am walking into war games in two weeks. I've never been a part of war games. I've watched two of them, uh, you know, live as part of NXT, and of course, I always wanted to step inside that steel structure and see what it was all about. So, it, you know, that's another big event. Uh, stepping into SmackDown and invading with NXT, that's another big event. There's just so many things that happen in this. Industry. You just can't predict it. And you just, you can't hang your, your cap on one thing, you know, uh, just because it, it, it's unpredictable. And you just always have to be ready. So right now, for me, it's more about creating more memories, creating more moments going forward. And that's exactly what I plan to do. So on that subject of always being ready, right around that same time, obviously a couple months before WrestleMania and that NXT takeover went down, you, Johnny, Aleister Black, and Ricochet are suddenly on WWE, quote-unquote, for lack of a better term, main roster television. I've been curious. I think a lot of fans are curious. What were you guys told about that, the purpose how did you feel getting that opportunity? And how did the boys in the back and girls in the back uh, treat you that you guys were just coming in and getting injected onto these main shows? As far as the, the locker room goes, there's really no, uh, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of is what it is. I don't, I, I, maybe it's just how I am. I, I, I keep my business to myself. I just, I, I carry myself a certain way. So I, I, I've never been a part of the whole, uh, if there was resentment, if there was envy, if there was anything, I, I would have no idea. I just, it's not something I ever get caught up in. Uh, as far as Ricochet, myself, Alistair, Johnny, uh, there, there wasn't a lot of uh, explanation, to be honest with you. Uh, it just, sometimes there's just spots that need to be filled and you just happen to be uh, at the right spot at the right time or the wrong spot at the wrong time, whatever it may be. And in this scenario for us, it's just one of those things where uh, NXT was not on television at the time, and we were headed into WrestleMania weekend, and the WrestleMania weekend, that sprint is just insane in WWE, and I think that they just needed spots filled, and they thought it was a good opportunity to get more eyes on our product, uh, and us four in particular, going into one of our biggest pay-per-views. Um, aside from that, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how it all fell into the NXT storyline or, or if it did or didn't. And I don't, I think I, I have confidence that it would have all played out so that people, because I, I did see some negative backlash towards Johnny and I were in, in quite a feud. And here we are showing up as a tag team DIY at the time. Uh, Johnny and I weren't really, uh, we weren't in such a bitter rivalry at that time. We were kind of starting to get on the same page. So I don't know. Maybe it would have played out a certain way. I think it probably would have. I kind of trust the process here. But yeah, it's it's. Sometimes I you know I don't ask a lot of questions. I just kind of <laughs> go do my job. And at that time, my job was to show up and perform on Raw and perform on SmackDown. So I just kind of did my job. So I kind of wanted to rewind, and, and I'm sure there may be a moment or two that I'm forgetting in between, but. So the first time, I guess, or second time that you were on WWE television, I think it was 14 years prior, maybe you're 21 yes. years old, it's July, it's SmackDown, and you're suddenly going face-to-face -face with The Undertaker. What the hell is going through your mind as an independent wrestler in that situation, getting that chance, that opportunity, the spotlight, 
of being on WWE TV uh, back then? Yeah, I was 20 at the time. They happened to be in town, and in, in town at that time, I was living close by Boston, Mass. I believe that show was in Worcester, so it wasn't far from me. And I, I was training at Kelly Kowalski's old place, which then at that time was Chaotic Training Center. It's now the New England Pro Wrestling Academy. But uh, they were kind of the, the feeding ground. If, if any time WWE was in the Northeast area, that's who they'd call. They'd call them for, for talent, for extra talent. And it was the weirdest call in the sense that usually, uh, especially at that time, that was probably 2005 maybe or 2006. At that time, they, they size mattered quite a bit. They really wanted guys 6'2 and above and 220 and above. And on that particular day, we got a call, uh, we being that promotion, uh, Chaotic Training Center, got a call saying, hey, we need people who are below six foot tall, who have darker features, uh, and who can speak. And that's never the call you get. So <laughs> three of us showed up with the promoter, and uh, I was, I think I was the youngest of the three, but the uh, the decision makers said, oh, you, you look the, the oldest. And it just was what it was uh, because they had to cast me as a lawyer. So probably not super believable now. People know when I was only 20 at the time. I don't even know if it was believable then. But yeah, it was that was a whirlwind of a day because uh, luckily for me, I've always been very comfortable on the microphone. Uh, so that part, I didn't really have nerves specifically because I had a script that I was actually going to be reading off a piece of paper because I was acting as a lawyer that day. So I didn't even have to memorize the lines. Um, but the day itself was crazy because once I got picked, it was probably 4 p.m. at the time. And it was a pretty important angle for WWE because uh, maybe a week or two prior, Muhammad Hassan and Davari did some stuff that upset executives at Fox or whatever it was. I, I, I or UPN, maybe it was UPN at the time. Whatever it was, it was uh, it was around something to do with the terrorists, and and it just it didn't sit, sit right with people. So this was kind of this this lawyer thing had to be an apology that came off sincere. Uh, and also in the wrestling world, you know, made sense and where Undertaker could come out. So I mean, I rehearsed that script in front of everybody. I mean, I, I did a solo in front of, uh, Vince in his office. I did a in ring with Undertaker, Vince uh, Hunter was there. It was one of those things where like looking back now, it's like, I see how big of a deal it was. Uh, and just how crazy it was to have that one-on-one -on -one time with everybody uh, as a 20-year-old kid on the independence. So it was wild. Uh, everybody treated me incredibly well. I remember they they didn't like the suit that I had, so they went and bought a suit uh, and let me keep it. Uh, it was just, it was it was a crazy day. It was a crazy first experience. One thing that, that I will say about it that always stands out to me is, and I, I to this day have no idea why this happened, but uh, Stephanie McMahon that day, decided to give me a personal tour of like backstage and just introduce me and, and welcome me to the WB community and, and whatnot. I think just trying to probably ease my nerves. And it was like a 20 minute or so time one-on-one -on -one with her, just her showing me around, explaining things to me and treating me very much so like I was her peer. And uh, it's one of those things I've said to her now, you know, being where I'm at now and having a better relationship with her, but it, it stuck with me for my entire career. And uh, it's just one of those things where you, you kind of saw somebody who was in a very high position, take the time out and show insane amounts of respect and kindness towards somebody who they didn't need to do that with. 
so that was one of those things that obviously being in the ring with Undertaker from a like player on ear perspective, one of the highlights of my career, but that backstage time with Stephanie and even how Vince and Hunter, how everybody was towards me, that probably had a bigger impact on my career, I'd say, than anything else that day. Yeah, great storytelling. Love that. Love to hear that. Before we close, talking War Games, Survivor Series, and this big NXT invasion, I can't let you go any further without digging one more time back into Gargano, Champa. Uh, straight up, it was our 2018 feud of the year at CBS Sports, whatever that means. But in my wrestling heart, Tommaso, there was something called the greatest story ever told. And it was Hogan, and it was Savage, and it was the Mega Powers, brother. And then you and Johnny effed around, and you, you, you damn near stomped on my pro wrestling heart with something just as friggin' good over the past year, two years. Uh, you came back at Chicago and attacked him. In Brooklyn in 2018 in the summer, you blew us away in the last man standing match with the handcuffs. This story, it didn't matter if you were a a baby face or a heel. Sometimes I wasn't even sure who was who. It touched us in a way that felt old again in a great way. Felt the long-term storytelling that we haven't seen since the 1980s. Were you and Johnny, when the cameras are off, when you're going up and down that road, did you honestly have anything too close to an idea that what you were authoring was invading our field space that intently, that you were making an all time great storyline played out in front of us on NXT. Yeah, man, I, I hope one day I, I genuinely hope this and Johnny does too. We hope one day we get to sit together in a room and do some sort of network special and, and really dissect and talk about the feud. And there's so many crazy like just insane stories that I don't think people would ever believe or grasp onto of how that came about. Um, and yes, to be honest, I don't want it to sound uh, arrogant, but yes, the entire time we knew what we were capable of and we knew if we got the platform to do it, that we knew what we were doing was special because uh, I don't know, man, it, it, it all this thing went back in our planning, at least this thing went so far back to the fact that like the two of us had our WB trial together. The two of us happened to be rooming together, sharing a rental car together, uh, being told no together, coming into the dusty classic together. Uh, then there was t- moments where we were going to get signed after that. And then contracts were pretty much put in front of us and taken back away because, uh, of various different reasons that hopefully one day we can get into and discuss Uh, moving down to Florida together. uh, Even the Cruiserweight Classic was not going to happen because that's really, I think that's really where for the fans this all started. And I wasn't going to be in the Cruiserweight Classic. It was 32 people picked. I was not one of them. Uh, And that was uh, Johnny and I kind of passion pitching to the powers to be at the time saying, listen, we're doing this DIY thing, but we're not really running with it. You're about to go put Johnny Gargano in this, this tournament. We knew he was going to make it pretty far. and wasn't going to be in it. That first night, there's going to be 16 matches, and that was us coming straight to them and saying, please put me in it. And, I, I, man, I don't have to win my first match. I'll lose. Just let me face Johnny. And you, you need a main event that day. There's 16 matches. going to be a tired crowd. Let us go on last if you need us to, and just let us have – the platform and that's that wasn't going to happen that was johnny and i looking at it though going they just see us face each other one time 
we know we're going to open up their eyes. They're going to see that there's potential here. And it, it just kept going from that point. You know, that match happened, and I think it, it opened a lot of eyes. Us uh, going with Revival, uh, that first match, I want to say, was in Brooklyn. That was just going to be it. We were going to do that and, and turn shortly thereafter. And, again, we kind of went up and said, hey, DIY's just starting to pick up. We're just catching the steam. Why don't we run with this thing a little bit more? Why don't we see if we can get some legs behind us, slow everything down, see how far we can go. That turned into TakeOver Toronto. And it just kept going from there. It was like a snowball effect. But the amount of, of thought that went into this feud and this program, uh, the turn uh, in Chicago, me disappearing on social media, going to get the his surgeries and just – letting him kind of have the spotlight. I just, it was it, disgusting how many hours we put into this thing, thinking about every single aspect of it and how we could just continue to, you know, outdo ourselves because th- that was our goal. Uh, and, and both of our goals too, uh, you know, best friends off camera, best friends on camera for a, quite a bit, but our goal is just outperform one another, outsell one another, uh, he's the best baby face there is. And I, I feel confident saying I'm the best heel there is. So our goal going out every single night was to just outdo one another. Like who's going to steal the spotlight from the other guy in this particular match or scene or promo or whatever it is. So I had the perfect dancing partner for it. I hope one day the story can be told. Uh, Johnny's memory is quite a whole lot better than mine. It'd be great to sit with him and just kind of, I don't know. Just let people in on, on on the behind the scenes. I think sometimes that's uh, that's is a beautiful part of the industry when you can kind of let people understand how much time and commitment goes into the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that's whether people want to say this is fake or or whatever term they want to label it with. The storytelling part of it is just it, there's no denying it. It's the most beautiful part of pro wrestling. And if people could ever understand how much went into that and talking with Hunter and getting Sean on board and Michael Hayes and just all these great minds getting together constantly to make this thing what it was. It it was, it's the highlight of my career for sure. And it's definitely why I'm at in the position I'm in now. Uh, It just, it elevated both of us so much. Um, It was just, it was a blessing, man. Wow. Fight forever. I could talk to you forever, Tommaso Ciampa. We're going to see you. WWE Network, November 23rd, War Games 2019. It's an NXT takeover, so you know it's going to deliver when you captain a War Games team against the Undisputed Era. We're going to check you out every Wednesday night. Of course, UFC, USA Network, 8 p.m. Eastern, NXT. Tommaso Ciampa, I hope we keep seeing you on Raw and SmackDown, brother. You're doing top, top shelf work. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for your time, guys. I can't wait to get inside the cage and have more play toys than I've ever dreamed possible. So, War Games uh, with Undisputed Era, myself, Matt Riddle, Keith Lee, at To Be Determined, superstar of our choosing, will be uh, hands down the best War Games in NXT history. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. All right. Wow. Special thanks for Tommaso Ciampa for invading my field space here, reliving the Johnny Gargano rivalry, maybe, maybe making me eat some words. I don't know. I mean, when you talk to a guy that passionate and he tells you the story, dude, you can you can show up on Raw and SmackDown any day you want and beat the Miz. Okay, thank you, thank you for doing that for me and Adam. What he mentioned, the idea of getting a WWE Network special with him and Johnny sitting down, telling the entire friggin' story of the rivalry, the friendship, the ups and downs. 
the injuries, the backstage booking decisions. I mean, Jack, we, we've we said this many times before in Trips We Trust. Paul Levesque, thank you for saving our lives, our wrestling fandom, for saving WWE at times. That man consistently greenlit them to the point where I never, ever, ever, ever would have believed that Tommaso Ciampa could be the best heel in pro wrestling. It was not maybe a heel at this second, but you get what I'm saying. That could be a a contender for wrestler of the year for like two years in a row. I, I stand by Champa simply because after that four way, about four years ago in the main event, ring of honor blatantly told him, we see nothing of value in you. And Champa looked them right in the eye and said, okay, release me. And ring of honor said, well, yeah, we just told you there's nothing of value in you. So <laughs> goodbye. That night of the, he was in a four way for the ROH world title. They told him, we don't see any. We can't do anything with you. He said, release me. They said, bye. And that's why every step this man takes, I'm behind him more than a lot of other people on that roster. But but they see something in Matt Taven, apparently, somehow now. Dude, I've stand uh, by Matt Taven, so you can eat those. It will not be Matt Taven. Uh, allowed, and no no backlash on this timeline. No slander. Keep what, going. What we, what we actually didn't get the chance to talk to him about, where if we do get an opportunity, maybe WrestleMania weekend, next time we're around those guys, I still want to dive into it's coming off of that, what Jack said. I don't know the exact year, Jack, where that happened, but just like Johnny, and people talk about Gargano all the time and, and his road to WWE, but just like Johnny, Champa was not supposed to be a success. He you know, came in, did a little work in NXT, did the Cruiserweight Classic, did the, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Tournament, did a couple matches in NXT. They signed him to that second-tier deal. Uh, where he could still do independent dates back when NXT still used to do that because they still didn't fully buy in. And he was so good. And he got so over that they signed him to the full deal just like they did Johnny. And this guy built himself up. I mean, he said on in our conversation that he could always talk, and that was certainly evident in our interview for all the best reasons. Uh, but this guy, just like Cody did in many ways outside of WWE, this one happened in WWE, got himself over. He oh, is yeah. a... Main eventer, he may not be Vince's main eventer, but he's Hunter's main eventer. He's our main eventer, all right? And as Cody once said about him, is true. One of the best guys you'll ever meet. Huge hog. Um, But but even with that success story that you nailed, like I told him, I never would have guessed, even with DUI, which was amazing. Or I didn't actually tell him this part. (laughs) Like, look, body size. I know it's not 1988 anymore. But that guy's just not, you know, Raw and SmackDown main eventer. Or maybe I should shut up because his reinvention of his body, of his beard look, the jacket, of everything is with the crotch. I mean, it's amazing what a person can do when you allow them to maximize their potential and simultaneously you believe in them enough to let them which, yes, guys, for the 17,000th time on this episode, I will turn the sword back on Vince and say how many people even right now on the main roster that we think are over and have been successful and have been WWE champion or sniffed it could be so much better if Absolutely. the brakes were the, pulled off. The thing that has Champa standing out above everyone else is that in addition to his mic skills and his obvious skills in the ring is he's a great storyteller. That Friday night of the invasion, I felt like I was, and looking through my time, I felt like I was the only one who noticed when NXT was having that big family moment in the ring, Champa was staring a hole 
through Adam Cole yes. the entire time Triple H was given that rah-rah speech. He didn't clap. He just stared at Cole the entire time until SmackDown went off the air. Yeah, it's it's the obsession with the title. Even on SmackDown when he had the opportunity to grab the title, but, you know, did, hey, you know what, Goldie, you're, you're going to have to wait. Daddy's going to war. Lines like that, that's not written. Like, Triple H isn't giving him a script and say, you need to say, Daddy's going to war. That's coming out of his brain. Yeah. Something we didn't talk about while the guy's holed up, you know, in his house uh, with a neck brace on, cutting promos. And look, WWE, they don't really allow their talent to do this. Saying the F word, cursing, uh, getting really hardcore in terms of the language and the and the the visuals of these promos he was cutting on Twitter. It works. You got to give these guys freedom. Some are going to succeed. You know what? We want Chad Gable to get all the freedom in the world, right? Oh my God. Maybe if you give him all the freedom, he doesn't have it on the And Adam, mic. please don't Maybe. tell me you sat on the show and defended the Shorty G thing when I was gone. Please, no, if I you tell like me the, you defended it, you're, I'll never speak to you again. In fact, I'm hanging sucks, up on you preemptively right now. The gimmick sucks, but they're giving him a chance in the ring, which don't, is great. There's no but. The gimmick sucks. That's the end of this conversation. Yeah, but they're, they're putting him on TV and get it, giving him wins. And okay, him but over. you can put a dress on somebody, put him on TV. They're still wearing the damn dress. People have, got, people have gotten over with worse gimmicks. That's all really it is. It's a terrible gimmick, but people have gotten over with worse. My point is, you could give Chad Gable the same free reign you give Champa, and he could be great in the ring, but not get over on the mic, let's say, potentially. But at least you gave him the opportunity. The problem, as you pointed out, BC, is WWE isn't giving that opportunity. And, and kind of to be fair, some of their superstars aren't taking it, aren't forcing WWE's hand the way a Finn Balor did to go over Only Sin Cara is, so I will stand here and clap for Sin Cara for putting his career yeah, but first. Thank Sin Cara wants to go be the real shooter. Shout out to Sin Cara. You know, Shout out to Mike Del Real's trying to get it. But hey, this is a dude. Don't forget, beat the hell, beat the shit out of Sheamus backstage. We got mouth. like this is a like Sin Cara Hunico's the real shooter in that WWE locker room. Let that guy go to I Del Real's little uh, if promotion. It, let, let him shoot. Last thing before we get into AEW full gear and even NWA power, I want to touch on real quick in a second. But uh, last thing on this because i can be here all day and make people mad about how i should how i would fix wwe but really just that's the baseline foundation if you tomorrow said 75 percent of each promo will be your own and you go for it here's your bullet points and number two go out there and have the match you want and that you feel like you could do like if you were like if you told seth rollins tomorrow hey bro go have a pwg match uh, on Raw tonight. Not your not a typical Seth Rollins match where you do the same moves in the same rotation. Go out there and do exactly the best of your ability. Our minds would be blown. So can you please do that tomorrow? Because there are so many people sitting around in that locker room that would be superstars. But maybe that's it. Maybe they want to pick who they want to be superstars. They don't want the fan to pluck out the guy they love the best and make them a superstar. That's, de that's definitely what it is. But you see it in sports, too. Like, when they say to Cesaro, like, call an entire match with Mansoor. And he puts on a great match. When they say, hey, Daniel Bryan, Adam Cole, BC, you may not have loved it, but guys, just roll the, go. Just well, go to it. Give us 35 uh, minutes in the main event. You see what they can do. So they have the ability. The talent is there. Maybe not everyone will win on the mic, but a lot of these guys and girls can win in the ring. But if you don't give them the opportunity, you're never going to see it. Good example, and I said it last night, and I was only mildly joking. For example, Survivor Series. When AJ Styles, Roderick Strong, and Shinsuke Nakamura walk into that arena and they look at the call sheet, under agent, it should just say, have fun. Yeah. 
Right. Or, or underneath that, I should say it's 2019. Underneath and, that, should say F Vince. Underneath that, should say you're ruining pro wrestling. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know. And, I don't then, know. Under time, and then under time, this is really the important <laughs> Whatever you want. Well, no, yeah, it should, be, it should say 25 to 45 minutes. I said 25 on Twitter last night. 25 right. minutes. Have fun, guys. You know, my right, first like, thought like, was when you, can, you, you can tell these guys go out there, do whatever you want. But if you give them six minutes, then it's not going to be great. Like, Dude, you have to give them the 25. You're damn you know? right. Last week on NXT, when Finn Balor comes from the locker room and AJ turns around and they don't attack each other and they do the two sweet. And the inside of me is just like, I'm just I mean, I'm popping. I'm, I'm like, oh, my God. Whoop, look down between my legs. There it is. <laughs> you're damn right, Tony. Um. I, I, you know, my first thought was oddly enough, not, and it wasn't Fergal, you stud, like you took your career and put it first. It was they actually gave us AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura in a major feud, and they centered it around kicking each other in the balls. So that's yeah. Vince well, in the modern era. Thank you for playing and ruining what we love. Thank you for that 15 hour WrestleMania in which you stuffed down all the big moments except for Kofi and ruined everything else. Um, you don't get it. You're killing me. This could be the greatest season as a wrestling fan of all friggin' time. My insides could be exploding out of me every given second. I would need Rick's colostomy bag just to keep my feels down. But no, they won't want to give me the meat. No bread, no water, just meat. Give me that meat. That's all In fact, wants. WWE, if you don't start giving me the meat that I want, that I deserve, cooked the way I want it, outside of your microwave ovens, I will keep playing buttons like this. I'm going to have to apologize ahead of time because I'm going to stretch his ass like it's never been stretched oh, before. No, sorry, I take that back. I'll never play that again. Um, Yeah, before, we, Adam, you're pointing before, at me. But Before we quickly get off NXT, I just wanted to know, did you see the Keith Lee, Dijakovic, uh, <laughs> and Roderick Strong match? Yeah, it was it was great. It was it was a it was a great TV match. It, it it went when it dialed up and went next level. It was spot friggin'tastic in all the best ways. It was absolutely insane. Well, I don't. We never hit the sound, so this whole show has basically been a main event, BC. But we should actually get to the main event, the real topic yeah, that well, we want to talk I gotta pause about. you there. I gotta slip in one more. I gotta slip a Jimmy in one more time before that because I don't want to bury this to the last minute. I want to just say. It's not the best show on TV every week, but NWA Power it oh, makes me the happiest every friggin' single week. Um, dude, Damian Sandow's coming out in flesh-colored trucks, trunks with a gut, <laughs> acting like an asshole with knee, knee, uh, pink knee pads, and it's the best thing ever. Jack, when Eli Drake is finally pushed into that title feud with Nick Aldis, who is hitting a I home run it. every time he's on the mic or in a suit, um, like. They are just connecting on these home runs every episode. Again, it's not the best thing ever, but what they're doing with so little is insane. Tell me if I'm wrong. Following around Camille's every movement on social media and that show, just hoping she might say something to, to the camera or to any of us, is the most compelling thing in pro wrestling at the moment. All of it. It's hitting all those field spots, BC. Like, I, I said it on the show within the past few weeks aew is not the alternative nwa is the <laughs> alternative that is that is what actually became the true alternative to the wwe style product now aew is a is a different option to watch but it's still presented in a wwe style manner all of a sudden out of the blue nwa comes along and we go oh they're the real alternative there if you want to sit down for an hour of your time out of the week 
and say, hey, this just feels and looks different. It, that's NWA. And yeah, Eli Drake is the clear star of that show so far. I need that man. When that man wins the NWA world oh, title, God. and he's going to. As a that's baby face, be a moment too. We're going to remember. I've only known him as as a doing insanely good heel work that nobody was watching. As a baby face going over all this is going to be amazing. I mean, th- this man proclaimed when he was talking to James Storm, like he when he laid out, hey, man, these mid card titles these days, they're not props. They mean that you are the guy who's next in line to become a world champion. When he cut that promo with Storm, I thought, wow. Like, here we are. We've been living in this WWE bubble of the mid-card tiles. Ah, props here. Congratulations. Carry this around for a little bit. What does it mean? Ah, we don't know. But carry it around for a little bit. But when he just, he made it crystal clear. Hey, man, that title means you're next in line to be the guy. So that's why I want that title. I said, wow, look how easy that was. To that point, people forget, like, when WWE introduced the Intercontinental title, and even now if you look at it, it's the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. It's supposed to be not the WWE title, but it's supposed to be really damn close, where if you're Shawn Michaels or you're Razor Ramon or or you're Bret Hart or whoever, and you have that title, you're next, right? That used to be, you could win the King of the Ring, you could win the Royal Rumble, or you could be Intercontinental Champion. That's what told people. Now, it's just what WWE does, they give it to other main eventers who aren't in the title picture. Styles, Nakamura, guys like that. And that promo, that sold, I mean, I already liked NWA going into it, but Jack, we talked about it, I think it was last week's show or maybe the week before, that promo sold to me that they know on the back end what they're doing, that they're telling stories, that and the Camille stuff, as you mentioned, Camille, and I think it was uh, Backlund who even said it and I read his DM last week, uh, who's Talk the best box? character? Bob, Bob Backlund at TalkBox? Yeah, yeah. Who's, who's the best character in, in NWA and why is it Camille? It is Camille because I've never been more interested in what someone had to say except maybe back when Kane didn't speak and then they promised he was going to give his first words on like, TV, you know, 15 years ago. So, wow, shout out to Bob Backlund getting on the show. Friends, so, Roman Reigns, Mex-Americans, lend me your Mick Foley ears. Wow. Wow, Rushmore is back. The point being is NWA does so much right from a storytelling perspective. The only issue I have, and it's minor, is as someone who is not a fan of studio wrestling, you know, not not, not a fan, not accustomed to it, didn't watch it growing up. I'm not watched like BC is. And Jack, you obviously watch too much wrestling. We all know this. Adam, Um, how are you not watched? I'm far younger than you. You're over the hill. You're over 40. Uh, you don't have a response because it's true. It's actually. Well, you're, you're like 35, dude. Because I don't come back from a holiday and need two weeks off. That's why. Or a vacation or a trip, I mean. Yeah, well, I was in Vegas working working, uh, working day and night out there. But uh, uh, to but, but so, finish <clears> my point, so the, o- the only part of it that I – it's weird for me is the wrestling. It's actually, the stuff that happens in the ring, it's strange to me and it – there's matches that have been pretty good, but a lot of them I've been completely indifferent about. So I love the storytelling. I love like 35 minutes of the show. The other part to me is kind of just there. Right, it's almost like the wrestling is there. Don't, don't say anything else before you blaspheme. But uh, the story, the subtle storytelling in the the match, even in like the jobber matches, is like the sauce to the steak. It's like, it's like, you know, people yeah. hate WWE's commentary because it's, it's annoying and worthless and they speak in circles right. and they don't do anything and we want someone to call the action. Well, this is like the old school way of 
you know, you'll know more about a character listening to the commentary of a four-minute squash match on like something like a studio show than you'd ever get from anything else. And uh, they're they're hitting the notes, man. They're I mean, dude, the fact that like you just said, they're making the title chase more important than anything else. I mean, dude, Nick Aldis' little pep talk he gave Tim Storm, which was unexpected because Aldis was a heel, was just such mm-hmm. a feel spot moment. And one of WWE's greatest sins by far was bastardizing all their titles, making all of the title reigns meaningless to the point that you expect every pay-per-view that if you don't get four title changes, then what the hell happened? And now we have something old and refreshing that's about, like, no, the pursuit of the title is the backbone. I mean, it's NXT. It's old school with the way it should be. Nothing is more important than the pursuit of that title. And, Jack, that North American belt is the best-looking belt in all I of love professional it. wrestling. Well, I, I, I love that title to no end. Gorgeous. Wow. Thank you, NWA Power. Thank you, Billy Corgan. Thank you, David Lagana. Thank you, Jim Cornette. Thank you, Camille. All right. Uh, I think it's time to get into the meat of this show that kept getting put off. Look, it needed time to marinate. It needed time to cook. And it was AEW full gear. And like I mentioned, wasn't that fired up, was was down and out, was beaten down by wrestling. This show delivered. Wasn't the best show of the year. But top to bottom, man, and especially the way it peaked at the end and gave you something to talk about and did something just different new fresh just like it wasn't the same old ish guys it's subtle it's basic make the pay-per-views matter make it worth your while to have waited to get to that point to actually see that match and see what it looks like this did all of that no again it wasn't the best show of the year it was at a time that i didn't even want it yet they left me going oh i wonder what that's gonna look like on wednesday night show like is that the only thing we need in life a damn cliffhanger to make us care consistently across the board they're getting it they know what the hell they're doing this works this card worked so for jericho and cody i want to kind of get your thoughts on two things off the top before we talk about the match and the storytelling the ringside judges the concept of it something jack and i discussed previously uh and the stipulation that cody injected himself along with his promo which i know you will definitely praise of if I lose, I'm not going to challenge for the title again, doing that at such an early juncture. So I'm curious what your mindset was going into that match, knowing those two things. Uh, in a way, they got me, and that's great. So them going to the judges is is great. It's old school. It's freaking Sting and Ric Flair in the late 1980s, only they one-upped us because they didn't use the judges, which coming in, you're like, okay, there's X amount of time left in this window. All the matches are done. This match is going to 100% be 60 minutes. No, it was a half hour of beautiful business. So the fact that they put that into play gave you a pop on the legends. Good God, they flew out Muda. Are you kidding Love me? It. I'm freaking fired up here. And then they don't go to it. And then you have a stipulation, like you said, or or just a bold statement by Cody saying, if I don't win it, I will never wrestle for it again. That certainly led you to believe, of course, he's going to go over to some degree. Although I didn't, in the end, I didn't think he would. Yes, they're going to have to get themselves out of that in the long run, have a match with a stipulation, or do something to to repair that. But the fact that they set that stage that you were like, well, what about this? Is the fact that they're they're trying to leave you guessing. They're trying to connect dots and and have wrinkles and do things. Yeah, I was fired up as heck for it. They told a hell of a great story, 
And then they cash in the payoff of the MJF turn at a time that I didn't think it was coming yet. When you do all the math and you go back and forth, they had telegraphed it so hard. And MJF is going to be such a freaking amazing top shelf heel so he doesn't have to pretend to be a babyface in this little pocket. It's great because if they would have put the title on Cody here, and they could have, and they would have been justified because Cody has gotten himself over, executive or not, as a babyface that people want to cheer for in the purest possible way because they're not cheering for him as an executive. Obviously, they're cheering for him as a, you went all in on yourself, started this company, you're Dusty's kid, we love you, you're doing it, you're touching our field spot in every big match, and they didn't go in that way. And if they had, arguably, rightfully so, some people could have stood up and complained and go, of course he went over, he owns the damn company, all that stuff, okay? No, they didn't even do that. And now they give you something for him to deal with that, look, I always say it. If you're not pointing in the direction of a world championship and you're not settling a, a grudge, what the hell are you doing? Give us some reason to care. They spun off this perfect grudge. Would I love to go a little bit longer and have MJF sliding in uh, Brandy's DMs and find out uh, the two of them are in the pool together? Like, yeah, I'm sure you can go in that direction. <laughs> you know, although, although, thank you, Paul Heyman, for ruining my care level on the Lashley, Rusev, Lana way, or, or whoever ruined that this week for just not having uh, a plan there. But yeah, that could have been great. But creative finish right there. Cody has a way to lose that's not really his fault, and we didn't need somebody running in to get the obvious DQ finish like normal. Loved it. Love, 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 love. Match, by the way, pretty damn good. Jericho freaking rules right now. So, yeah. Tell me something bad about Chris Jericho. You can't. I even listened to the Don Jr. interview, didn't hate it. You can't do it right now. He, that's why that was the best decision not to change it, because Jericho is freaking insanely entertaining right now. Yeah, I mean, you definitely could not have taken the title off Jericho. There's been prior times you've told me you love Cody matches. You love Abushi Cody. You love this. I, I've never really liked it. I thought this was Cody's best match. Yeah, you I hate loved Cody. It's weird. Like, even Leather, Cody Aldis, which touched us all, you were like, that yeah, match stung. Yeah, slow and boring. I, I Cody Dustin, which was, like, the best match of the year, you were like, yeah, I don't really, it's not my thing. I didn't um, hate that. No, I didn't hate that. I just thought it was way too colorful. I thought it was I way too I mean, Jack, too you remember colorful. Cody Ibushi at the Wrestle Kingdom yeah. card? Dude, that was a I fantastic match. Brandy yeah. on the outside, that was some theater right so there. This, this, to me, was the shining moment for Cody, and it was... Just as much of the match, which I thought was very good. The story was told very well. Um, the issue I take is I simple. I thought it was too early for the MJF turn, but that's that's you know different different people with good taste can disagree on that. But what really struck me uh, and was his promo uh, Wednesday night on Dynamite, which I think is in the conversation top five promo of the year, maybe top three. I think it's a easy entry into that top uh, level. I do think that people comparing it to hard times is a little much, perhaps, at least for me, because I think that is the greatest promo of all time. I understand the comparison. It's the sun. Uh, but that promo got me to care about that match in a way that I was interested in it from the inner circle, you know, dueling with Cody and his crew um, up in the concession stand area. I was interested when uh, they had the contract signing and, Dustin got attacked by J Jake Hager. I was interested, but that promo got me to care. And Cody paid it off with his family at as mom, I should say, uh, at ringside to show how much it meant to him. The stipulation that he put on himself. 
that was it. It was the storytelling of it more so than the booking. I didn't love the towel throwing because it's been done before. I didn't love the ringside judges, whether they were used or not, because it's wrestling and you don't need judges for wrestling. But I can put all that aside because I cared so much about it and he delivered in the match as a performer that it totally won me over. I'm not going to go tell you Cody's my favorite now. He's not. But I totally respect him, and I think of him far differently than I did a week ago. How in the world did we, did both of you just talk about this match and the build and how great it was and this and that and hard times? How did we not mention Chris Jericho's effort on Dynamite to pump up the <laughs> yes, match? Yeah. How did you guys, th- that was legit. I'm not joking. That was one of the funniest things. I haven't laughed that hard at something on a wrestling show in a long time. That was hilarious. Especially Hager. His dude, when he just said nothing. Dude, everybody is in that in that faction is hitting the right spots with oh. subtle movements, facial expressions. I mean, Sammy Guevara, I never thought I could care this much about him. But, be- yeah. but into that match, I freaking love what AEW is doing. Cody, with that with that hard way spot and you can argue was it planned whatever um it was so perfect for that match it was you know it was the perfect amount of color at the right time and came from him making a mistake within the storyline of the match and missing that dive over the top and just the fact that they had the ramp there which is so old school you love Love that crap it's so wcw in the early 90s when they were so good and no one realized it and Dude, that blood adds so much. And they didn't have to do a gory uh, blade job to get there, but they did it in this perfect hard way style. And, man, dude, you know, Cody is figuring out how to be the best of himself, yes, but how Mm -hmm. to be the best of himself in such a way that honors Dusty and the traditions that Cody came from as a kid watching. Like, Cody right now is like an 80s-level NWA champion in in his style, his promo delivery, like – I, I could not love the work he does more. And no, it's not through the method of traditional five stars, like like going back to the to the build with Dustin and the brother promo and all that great stuff. But, you know, he's what old is new again, and he is nailing this role. I mean, how I mean, how is he not going to finish 2019 in that conversation for wrestler of the year where it used to be? OK, wrestler of the year was Kenny from NJPW. And then the top three or four guys in, in WWE. And then last year, it's like, oh, wait, hold on. And, J- and NXT probably just had the best year any promotions had in our modern times. Those guys need to be considered. Well, now you need to consider everybody because wrestling's finally global and spread out. And you almost have a quasi-territory system again. And there's competition. And within all of that, with the different styles and everything, Cody's kicking a, a mud hole in me as a fan right now. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, he's doing to the level, like I said, if he would have had won the title, I would not have put any slander on it. He would have deserved Co- it because he's so freaking over. Cody made me slightly, slightly care about Sean Spears for a second. Yes. <laughs> That's impressive because, look, guys, here's the deal. You know how all these guys from WWE now are requesting their release and WWE is going, LOL, sit down. Sean Spears requested his release and they went, okay, bye. Now I think we're finding out why they said, okay, bye. Right. Like, that's impressive to me that Cody made me slightly care about that dude. I, I respect that he made you care about that. I, he, as, as he tried, he tried, Cody tried, they tried. I never cared about him, but I did care about this. Uh, and 
Yeah, I mean, Brian, you really nailed it, man. I think Cody is in the conversation for wrestler of the year because it is not just who is the best chain wrestler, who is the mat technician. It's the whole package. And he has it from a promo. He also has impact on the industry as well. And for that same reason, I think Chris Jericho is in the conversation for wrestler of the year. And maybe he doesn't, despite, I I think he, he's done more or as much for AEW, I should say, as Cody has. But maybe he doesn't have that full resume that Cody has. But those would be my two submissions from AEW when we're doing our finalists, when we actually do the voting, which, by the way, isn't that far off. We're like four or five weeks away yeah. from actually doing that. But it's those two. And then you go to WWE, and I don't want to change topic. I want to, I'm want to. i going to go right back to Moxley and Omega. Um, but And you're like, who? who's there? Who's from them? Right. It's like, okay, Kofi had a really good run for a period of time. Becky has been consistent all year. Daniel Bryan was hot as fire from January through April, but what's happened since due to a variety of... Uh, of now he's options. a baby face and a heel every other week, and it makes no right. sense. And you're like, okay, we'll find some people from NXT to throw in there too, and certainly there are. Cole is no question on that list. But you're, you're looking at it, and you're like, with Kenny not being in New Japan, and with New Japan being very good wrestling, but lacking from the promo and, and you know that type of aspect that it goes into the wrestler of the year, maybe it is Cody. Maybe... We need to rethink what wrestler of the year actually means. Maybe it's just not who's the most entertaining on screen. Maybe it's larger than that. And I think that's why Cody uh, has that. And I think two guys that we thought would have been in the conversation, VC and Jack, uh, would have been John Moxley and Kenny Omega. Yes. Because I think we all thought, hey, uh, Kenny Omega is going to come right into AEW. They have the best wrestler in the world. They're going to treat him like the best wrestler in the world. And they're not necessarily doing that. And with Moxley, we kind of thought, hey, they have this huge crossover guy from WWE who got us as much attention as we could have asked for coming out of double or nothing. But then he has MRS, MRSA and there's all these issues going on health-wise where he's not able to be in matches that we thought he would be in. So now it culminates in this lights-out match at AEW uh, Full Gear, which was the de facto main event by virtue of going on last. I don't know, BC, what you think about the lights-out concept, but tell me that for sure. But what did you think of this match? Because I got to be honest, and I know Nick sided with me 100% because I did talk to him offline about it. Nick Aldis? Nick Costos, okay. the man whose name used to be second on the marquee but is no longer. Uh, it was, for me, and I'm going to lay this baseline and you tell me where you want to go, far too much. It, there were moments that were fantastic. It ruined my enjoyment of what I thought I was going to get from a Moxley Omega match, whether it was a wrestling match, whether it was an extreme match, to me it was far too much, and I had to find and find things I could grasp on to say that 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 it was good. All right, um, it, it, this almost ties into it. Like you've you've got a because there's a separate conversation connected with this about Omega, and it's like yeah, even for this match, you've got to stop yourself and go, okay, we're not getting. A Kenny Omega five-star match here. We haven't gotten any of that in his AEW presentation so far. And it's, you know, is he purposely taking a backseat because he's an executive? Is he working too hard on getting Joshi women over? Is he waiting? And I think it's right now it's a compliment to AEW that Moxley could have had such a big moment early and then with the illness and then with the whatever hasn't really been a monster part of this. And then Kenny's basically taken a backseat and lost to everybody and yet the whole promotion is so good right now and they're not even close to maximizing how great they can be and just critically not commercial but just critically they're not even close to how great they can be but 
It's interesting. Do you know? I mean, look, it's gimmicky to do the lights out thing, but I, I, I get in storyline why they did it and they committed to it. Um, would this version of this hardcore match be the match I would have picked or the match that could have gotten out the most out of these two? To hell no. So I understand that as a baseline and a foundation. But one thing I'll really credit AEW is this. When they choose to go down a path, they're going all in. They're going all freaking in. And one thing they're doing, which is smart, is identifying certain areas, that w- which we said from the beginning. Identify areas that WWE is not pleasing their fans and then nail us with it. So we get Cody Dustin, and there's obscene blood, and there's this insane old-school storyline. And when they go the route of just giving you the old-school 80s match and telling the story, they go all freaking in. And as we've seen so far, when they bring out the weapons and they go to this level, they go all freaking in. In the end, I was thoroughly entertained by Moxley Omega. They never lost me. The only thing they lost for me was that lamentable feeling of, When's Kenny going to finally turn into Kenny? Well, he went all in on doing a match that John Moxley loves to do and has built his early pre-Shield career on doing, which is this type of thing. And, Jack, it was like, can they top this one after another after another that every time they hit what I thought would be the the gotcha moment in terms of getting your attention, having you go, ooh, ah, oh, wow, gimmicky. They got mousetraps? Well, I've never seen that before. Let's see what that looks like. Oh, my God, crash, glass. Every time they sort of hit another level, even to the point where am I getting uncomfortable, where they want, that's what they want you. They want you in that in-between of what am I watching. They had one more trick, and it just kept amping it up in that obscene bed of, of barbed wire. You know what? The two of them committed to this AF. They went all freaking in, and they put on uh, not a match I want to see all the time. I don't want to see this on every card. I don't know if I want to see either of them in it again, but the right guy actually won, and they entertained the balls off me, and it was a pay-per-view main event that at the end left me going, wow, rather than, all right, can't wait to watch you two wrestle again on Raw tomorrow night. So they won. They got me. All right, a few things about this. Because you guys know I've watched way too many death matches in my life. And still do. Uh, I would have shaved off about 10 minutes. It started dragging there for a little bit. I enjoyed it. Overall, I did. I enjoyed it. it. It was what it was. I mean, Kenny Omega versus John Moxley in a match like that, I don't think you could have asked for more. Especially Kenny Omega. In an, in an element that you're not used to seeing him in. Uh, especially as of late. I've seen him do similar stuff in DDT. But a mainstream audience hasn't seen that. So it was unique. Shave off about 10 minutes, too long. My only slight issue, and this is nitpicking, I understand. The spots BC were cool, but it felt too planned out. Mm-hmm. And because of the timing, probably it was, okay, 10 minutes, now we bounce to the mouse traps. Okay, we're at 15 minutes, now we got to pull out the, the broom. Okay, 17 minutes, now we got to pull out the... A death match, like if you watch anything at GCW involving Nick Gage, there's a reason they call him the king. When you get into a death match at GCW, it feels like a legit, and this is tricky to do, I understand it. It has to feel like a legitimate fight where you're brawling and you say, go buy a bar, and you're like, oh shit, all right, there's a bottle, give me the bottle. <laughs> this felt too much like, okay, now, okay, where are we at? Okay, ref, where are we? 20 minutes, okay, now I have to go under the ring and pull out the mouse traps. Okay, 25 minutes, all right, now we have to go up the ramp. 
That was, but but again, that's nitpicking on my part, and not a lot of fans probably thought like that. And I understand I, that my thinking there is unique, and that bothered me slightly. Just too planned, the timing and everything like that. Like I did like the element of the Bucks and Hangman being like, "No, man, you're going too far." Because I because we're further in the story of Kenny losing his freaking mind, and, and they're finally telling him, "Dude, you're going too through far. that window in the glass." But dude, I'll give him this. It peaked perfectly. So while I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying in the middle and it looked very planned and all that, but they went down the road of this and went all in and that finishing sequence with the wood and stuff. I mean, it's not that we hadn't seen in WWE someone peel that back, but they're doing, you know, spots on that wood. And it was it was fantastic. Now, now my last point on this, though, is the unsanctioned lights out stuff enough. End it like John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. End it. Kenny versus Joey, I get it. It was a story. It was, I'm going to face this guy in this kind of match, so I have to face the guy who's just a tier below him in Joey Janela. And he did, and he won. Like, it was a preparation of sorts. But AEW cannot use this match as a crutch because the whole wreck doesn't count against the record because their whole... One of their big pitches coming in in the inception of this company was wins and losses are going to matter. Titles are going to matter this. So you can't keep going to that well of, all right, well, you guys do the unsanctioned lights out thing, and then it's not going to count. I think we've seen it a little too much, so stop it right here with these two. This should be the peak for right now, and then bring it back next year or something. Well, they've also done it three times in yeah, enough, a couple enough. months. Like it's, it's, you're beating us over the head with it. Things, you know, it's, it's one thing when we get a gauntlet match. You know what I mean? It's another thing when you get two in three weeks. So you know, anything can be overdone, and that that is it, this being yeah, overdone. That, that's legit. But but I, I I do think that it was just like I'm not disagreeing at the end. The end of the match. I said this on Twitter when we were talking about it live. It was great. I loved the exposed wood. NXT did just do that. It looked different. It felt different. They spent longer on it. They actually did moves on it. The, I didn't like the Phoenix Splash. That's a another story. That's just me cringing because I thought someone was going to die. But ultimately the end of the match delivered and gave me exactly what I wanted and the feeling I wanted, but it was long. It was drawn out. It felt planned. A lot of it, clearly the glass is fake. We know a lot of things in wrestling are fake, but it just, it was so kind of unnecessary to do all of those individual little things. I mean, the the mouse pad thing, the, 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 it looked like, like John Moxley had been at home like with like Elmer's glue, like he was doing a class project and glued all these little mouse traps. But look, they tried a, something a new. Construction paper. We got. I got. We got to close down the show here. We're oh. way too over. But we tried. They tried something new. And again, the fact that they just said we're going all in, and you can like it or love it or not, and it's really no different than what they did at a recent pay per view with the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers in that main event. And they're just like, we're going spot to the like. It's just going to be a assembly line of fantastic, ridiculous spots. And they went with it and they just said, we're going down this road. So it's something that they're trying. It's making them a little bit different than obviously the, the same process meet with WWE. Um, when they figure this formula out in the long run, guys, and look, we, we, we don't have time to go through those other matches. There was hit or miss in there. And we are going to get Kenny Omega being Kenny Omega again. And as long as there's no internal problems and there's a reason why he can't or doesn't want to be the fact that we have a handful of guys that we all want to see programs with and see, okay, no strings, no chains. Go out there and do some of your NJPW stuff. Go out there with Pentagon and just make freaking magic. Or go out there with Cody and tell an insanely good story. Or, you know, do another. Like, there's, there is potential here to 
to really long term for them to work creatively. And I and well, I, I I still think Kenny Omega is the man to dethrone Jericho, probably Memorial Day weekend. So for anyone that's where I I think Omega is going to be the one to dethrone him, probably whatever show they're going to do Memorial Day. And Jericho sure, Moxley no. under this setting is going to be a, a fun fun build as well. It, it does seem like that is the direction with Omega that they're going build taking. It's what I wanted with Roman Reigns, you know, taking him down to build him back up into something even bigger than he was, make you think that they're going with Cody in this role when they're actually not. It's to to almost be uh, someone in the middle to kind of not waste time, but move the storyline along, build Jericho up as a really strong champion so that when Omega eventually does go over him, he's this huge hero. But I do really like what we saw from Full Gear. I think the biggest positive about AEW is they have created this roster of main eventers and potential main eventers. And it's not just the guys that we've seen be in these main matches, but it's the Darby Allens. It's the Sammy Guevara. Eventually. I, I personally don't think Jake Hager is ever really going to be anything, but him potentially as well. And, and these guys where they have like eight to 10 dudes. And that's not even mentioning someone like Scorpio sky who you can pluck and move into that role eventually, but they have like eight to 10 dudes who are believable world champions for, and I don't mean this as a, as a negative, an upstart, you know, just because they are new organization and for them to be that far ahead and humming along this well, storytelling wise, as you said, BC, it really provides high hopes for the near and long-term future. Yeah. Thank you to Tony Khan and the fellas there for being so much better than we thought they were going to be in the final six months before the launch of the I TV do, show. Yeah, I and look, I, agree. I was holding on to that carrot of, well, let's just wait till the TV show comes out. But I was fatigued. I was nervous. And they're delivering. And, yes, they're going to miss, too, while they hit. But it's working. Let's see where it goes. Continue to be everything WWE isn't. And I think you're going to be all right. All right. This show overblown and overloaded. Special thanks to Tommaso Ciampa. Special thanks to all you out there who are behind the revolution of Get BC on the Red and Black. I don't know. We'll see where it's going. Hey, free D-Midi, Anna. Can you, un- can you unblock D-Midi here? I mean, this guy's basically rushed. This guy's the foundation of our show. We don't have an audience. We're, we're talking alone in the dark without D-Midi. No. Wow. Mail. Wow, that was that sound. I, I can't go down that road where they where that one guy called in and put over D Mitty. I love that guy. Um, all right. Well, I'm a fan of D Mitty from day one. Special thanks to uh, all you listeners. All right, I'll be back in your lives. I'll be talking wrestling with you. Survivor Series is coming, and I don't hate it. All right, so let's check that out. Let's enjoy it for Jacko, for the Silver King, for myself and my future in a hot tub with old people showing their balls in the locker room. It's your boy, BC. Follow us on State of Combat, and we are out. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.